Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Howdy, Cycling in Alignment listeners. You are back for another episode, number 78, with Shara Simmons. I'm your host, Sylvester Matushka. Shara is a muscle activation specialist, as well as a Czech practitioner. She's also educated in the Eldoa method. I sat down with Shara and discussed a great many things about her coaching methods. We recently had the opportunity to work with a client together. The results were very satisfactory. It was a great way for me to see a problem through a different lens. That is to say, Shara got to apply her methods and I got to use mine. And this was all for the benefit of the good of the client. In our conversation today, we unpack some interesting concepts such as becoming the hollow bone. This is a term that's used to really mean simply emptying yourself so that you can see a client with the greatest clarity. It's kind of a form of getting out of your own way to allow the healing or the practice to happen. In my case, healing could be replaced with the word coaching. Also, Shara talks quite a bit about Palchek's six foundational principles. It's very clear to me that she uses these in her coaching methods and also applies them to her own life. Another concept that we talk about is the I, we all model and how this model is applied with a very specific order of operations. This is a critical way to manage your own energy and make sure that as a coach or a wellness practitioner, you don't get burned out. But really this principle applies to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're a coach or you're trying to help other people or not. If you've got your own goals, the same basic formula applies. I'm sure you'll find Shara's wisdom, honesty, and passion for her practice engaging and powerful as I did. So please enjoy the conversation. As always, hit me up with comments or questions on the gram. I'll do my best to get back to you at some point before the earth explodes. With gratitude, ride fast, pedal consciously. Char Simmons, welcome to Cycling in Alignment. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Dun, 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 dun. Here's my intro music. <laughs> Fun to see some of your books over there. Yeah, do you have similar stuff going on, or totally different, or what? Uh, no, some very similar. Things. Yeah, you can learn a lot from somebody's bookshelf. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, but there's um, definitely things over there that I've not seen. Like what? Um, the or Orby way, Obri way. The Obri way. Oh, that's a bike cycling book. Okay. Yeah, he's um, a Scottish guy who set the Scottish. He set the world hour record. Um, but really eccentric cyclist. So uh, total innovator. Mm. So he took the normal cycling position and he, you know, so how the cycling positions evolved, right? It went from standard drop bars to more of a skier's tuck when they brought the aero bars, when LeMond yeah. used the aero bars at the 89 tour and he won. And he beat Laurent Fignon by eight seconds, which was this like monumental yeah, in the Tour de France, a 3,000 mile bike race. He beats it by eight seconds in the last time trial because he had aero bars and Fignon didn't. Huh. So that was the That's first cool. big like, hello, aerodynamics are really important, guys. <laughs> um, but then Aubrey 
had really long dangling arms. And so that, that arrow part position, which basically looks like your elbows are bent at 90 and your forearm, your upper arms are kind of vertical. Yeah. It just didn't work for him because he was had too much height here. So he couldn't get the bars low enough, even though he's a tall guy. So he first evolved it into this Superman position where he put his arms way out here like this. He was riding like this, the super extreme. And then maybe I'm backwards. No, first he did, first he went to the egg. They called it the Obri egg. He tucked his arms like this and rested his oh, chest on the handlebars huh. like this. Huh. So he was leading like shin first. And the UCI who runs the sport is a European organization. They're run by a bunch of French and Swiss and Dutch people. They were like, this is a nightmare. We can't have people riding around like that for a bunch of good reasons. Yeah, sure. The first of which is that it's not a very stable yeah. bike. And it's not very safe. Yeah. And that in 90, I believe it was 93 in Norway, he won the world pursuit championships, which was a 4k event. So about a four minute and change event he won. And then he was celebrating on his like victory lap and he almost crashed because the bike is so unstable because it yeah. has this bar that's like sure. super in your chest. And, and so he was like really upright and like, <laughs> yeah, I won. And then he was like, Oh, he almost died. Not died, but almost crashed. So that's not good. So they outlawed that. Then he went to the Superman. A few people used that for a while and won a bunch of races and discovered it was pretty fast. And then they outlawed that. And now that one doesn't seem like it would turn very well, but maybe you don't need also, to. Also, no, yeah, it doesn't. It's you're you're basically riding like this. Yeah. I mean, it's not very stable. Um, and you also kind of can't see where you're going, which is problematic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> when you're riding a bike. And that so, makes me think of serratus isometrics and cervical elbows. Right, <laughs> right. I know, like all these extreme. Oh my God, yeah. So I rode in that position in 97 in the National Time Trial Championships. I had a guy make me a stem that, that was like this long. Yeah, the Superman. Huh. Yeah, I got bronze. Cool. Um, it was really unstable. What did you, so did it change like your, if you were to do that for long periods of time? Like what were the areas that just got worked? Um, surprisingly different? then, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of wondering that too, when I got, had the stem made, it's like, all right, I, nobody knows. This is like totally unknown territory. Like what happens when I ride this on my bike and go hard for a while. Yeah. And I didn't seem to have too many issues. Somehow things worked out. I don't know if that means I had enough core strength to fake it or what, but we're talking about an, an event that's about, I used it in a 40 K time trial. So that was like, you know, less than an hour worth of work, probably 52 minutes worth of work or something like that. So higher intensity, very like flat out. Yeah. Like 52 minutes as fast as you can go. And so you're sort of, you're pushing down on the pedals with a lot of force. So that offsets a lot of the load on the body, the, you know, like this yeah. pressure. So maybe that's why it was kind of worked out. I mean, it out. would have to change how your diaphragm would work too. For sure. For sure. And I mean, I'm yeah, borderline hypermobile. So maybe I was just able to make it yeah, work, right. but other people might've gone on there and been total train wrecks or who knows. So what know. did they end up doing? What, or what did he end up like? He, he set two world hour records. He won at least two world championships in the pursuit. Did they and come up with it in between with the bike? No, no, oh, no. It, it brought about this whole situation where they out, where they, um, made all these rules about how the bike could be before that it was completely unregulated. You could do anything except ride a recumbent style, which is like, you know, sofa Tubby. chair. Which ha which is actually a lot faster on a flat terrain really? to ride a recumbent. Yeah, because you're in this much more aero position. Yeah. And you could drive against the seat is like a, it has like a backrest. Oh, yeah. Oh, you have an arachnid visitor. Oh, my gosh. He's a pretty big one. I'm going to put him outside. Okay. Don't let him run into the carpet. Get it flashed. Come here, friend. 
that's what I do with the spiders in oh, my ah, hands. No. Key is to get the cup upside down without letting this. Oh my gosh, he's a wily little guy. You're gonna have to use a magazine with you. Ha ha! <laughs> gotcha. Out you go. Into the garden. Go catch some bugs. Cool. Um. So let's take a few minutes for you to introduce yourself, maybe tell the audience a little bit about what you do, who you are, where you're from. Cool. Um, I am from Fort Collins and I've been there for pretty much since fourth grade. I'm not a Colorado native, but been there that long. Mm -hmm. um, I went to school in Boulder. I actually started school in Flagstaff, Arizona at NAU um, off as fashion design major. Fashion design major. Yeah. 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 Quickly uh, realized that wasn't going to be my world. Not your thing? Nope. And then I always wanted to get back to Colorado um, and was applying to Boulder at the same time in the first year at NAU. Mm -hmm. And when I got to Boulder, I changed my major to international business. Okay. And I took a business law class and quickly learned that those weren't my people either. Uh-huh. And uh, I've always been an athlete and took a kinesiology class and I was like, oh, that's my thing. This is it. Nice. Yeah. So I changed my major to kinesiology. And then, um, yeah, once I got into anatomy, I really learned that was my thing. Mm -hmm. That was definitely my favorite course in college. And uh, yeah, so that brought me to Boulder. I graduated from CU in Boulder. We were there at the same time. We just found out. Yeah. 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 So, mid nineties. Mid nineties. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated from Boulder. Okay. Um, I started personal training after that. I got a degree in kinesiology and really didn't have much direction with that. Um, we didn't do a lot of hands-on in college. And so I started training in Denver at a gym, personal training, mm -hmm. with uh, very little information. I think I did the, uh, what was the certification? It was a certification that you could get sent to you, mm. read, you know, look at the manual and then do the test. Yeah. There was no real testing. There was no real teaching. Nothing um, in person. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so I started training at this gym and, you know, really when I was looking around there wondering what is going on here, uh -huh. you know, why are people squatting and walking away with a limp and why are people doing their bicep curls with their back? Right. And, and at the time, I really like I could see that there was something not right, but I didn't have the tools or the information. Mm -hmm. And I was always looking for a teacher. Mm -hmm. I was always looking for what the next step was. That's kind of inherent in me um, because that information is just it truly is like candy to me. Yeah. Um, so I met a guy, Ty Armstrong, who is a spin instructor. And he came in and his energy was just palpable and was really drawn to him and had a conversation with him about what he was doing at the gym, but also outside of the gym. And at that time he was involved with the Czech Institute. Mm -hmm. So that was my first, you know, he said, check it out, you know, see what you think. Here's my number if you want to connect. And that's when I was first introduced to the Czech Institute. Mm -hmm. um, he was working also with a guy named D Tidwell who is here, is in Denver working. Um, 
And I eventually, after looking at the Czech program, was very interested and jumped right in and then started working with those two guys in Denver. So at that point. So they were your mentors at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. And very grateful for crossing paths with them. Mm -hmm. They at the time were a level one and they had the golf certification. Yep. So I did everything I could do to get those ASAP. But, you know, I remember the first, the level one at uh, the Czech Institute. I was so, fortunate enough to be taught by Paul. By Paul. So yeah. this was Czech practitioner level one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not yep. HLC. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, after being in college and not really fitting into that world, like the memory, I was pretty good at memorizing, but you put me in a chair, my brain shuts down. Mm. You put a clock over a chalkboard, I'm right. done. Right. So yeah. I just, I got by and I got by okay, but I just didn't have anything that I was carrying with me mm. from that experience. And I remember the first class with Paul and he was up there totally going on tangents. Yeah. Which is how I learned. Which, and which is how Paul teaches also. And I love it. Yeah. I love <laughs> everything about it. Yeah. And especially his clinical experience, like he can't help but go into those things that he's experienced. Right. And then, uh, you know, him talking to us about, I don't care if you sit, if you do squats, if you sit on the ball. Right. If you, and it was like my brain just turned on. Mm -hmm. And it was like in that anatomy class in college, it was those, it was those indicators, that experience of joy in mm -hmm. learning that I was like, oh, I'm here. I found my, this is it. This is my tribe. No one could yeah. talk me out of that. Not yeah. my dad who tried. Death, but it yeah. was not the path that he chose for me. What did your dad want you to do? Um, I just wanted me to take a more traditional path, mm. you know? Yeah. He just, from his perspective, that was the best thing for me, but I so think he is, sees that differently now. This is what, 2000 about, or was it a little, you'd been in Denver at yeah, the gym so for longer probably, than that? Probably around 2000. So, I mean, back then, like Paul's so stuff was seen as... So if I graduated in 97, then it had to be, it was maybe 90 eight-ish it was pretty yeah, quick pretty quick yeah so it was see i mean now i mean yeah of course paul's you know in the fringe depending on what lens you're looking at the world with yeah but being an exercise coach now and looking holistically is not anywhere near as left field now obviously in 2022 yeah. as it was 20 right. plus years ago and not that i knew before that as an athlete being a soccer player or in college studying kinesiology mm. i didn't know but when I got into that class and when I was hearing the way Paul was talking about the body and the mind and yep. like I knew it resonated with me on a level that made sense, even though I hadn't learned the information yet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's in us. <clears throat> what he teaches. Yes. Resonated with me. And mm. I was like, I don't there was no question mm. with that, mm. which I loved. I mean, it just again, my brain turned on and I really had struggled with that in the past, you know, mm. dealing with ADD type stuff like. Mm -hmm. Know, the learning environment I did not fit into hmm. a traditional learning environment so yeah that went let's see I did my level one and then I started working with Ty and D mm -hmm. um, doing assessment mm -hmm. program design and then we, they had a great space where we uh, kind of a warehouse space where you could pull up the back garage door and be on the trails um, and we did you know we taught them our programs there Cool. And it was great. It just was uh, so inspiring to be around like-minded people and have those people like as mentors. Mm -hmm. um, so then, let's see, I guess it was in, my timing might be a little off, but in 99, Greg Roscoff was going to do his first year internship. 
and he chose, I think it was 23 people to do the first muscle activation technique course, which is a year long program. And uh, Ty D and I were a part of that group. And, and he found us because we were Czech practitioners. At the time, oh, okay. I think we were the only if of the few Czech practitioners in Denver. Uh -huh. And so that's how he found us. And he was in Denver also? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we got cool. to be a part of the first program. Cool. Um, so he was plugged into that system and knew that you guys would appreciate what he had to offer. Yeah. And, and that, that system like enough. Yeah. yeah. And he actually came and sort of tried to sell it to us. But it was like one of those things that, I mean, we all three of us quickly jumped on. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I remember the first day of that course mm -hmm. and again, being totally blown away, not only by the people that I got to be with, um, it was a very interactive group. And because it was the first course that, uh, he had done, I don't know, it was like, we were a part of the evolution. I mean, he was an incredible teacher and he had all the information to teach, but it was very interactive. Cool. The other thing that I really learned quickly was um, that the anatomy that I learned in school was awesome, but I didn't learn anything about anatomy. Re not real anatomy. Yeah. yeah. It was right. all memorization. And yeah. we got to work with cadavers and that was so cool. Like it was what, mm. you know, lit my fire in that way. But mm. um, yeah, like learning not just origin insertion, but, yeah. Yeah. you know, fiber direction. Yeah. What joints is it crossing? Why is it crossing those joints? Right. You know, these... These pieces that, you know, when you think about it in a way and apply it to movement, it's a totally different and very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so doing the muscle activation totally changed how I work with people. Um, so I was, as I was talking about earlier, I would be doing, I love watching people move. And it is, again, it is like candy to me, like I can't help. Like I would go out dancing with my girlfriends right around this time period. <laughs> and I would literally be on the sidelines saying, oh my God, look at that forward head posture. <laughs> while they're, while they're out <laughs> boogieing. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I was no fun to be with. <laughs> no fun to be with. And I would, you know, I would go to the park and watch people walk and I'd be like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That lat is shut down on the right. Uh -huh. So it was like, it was really, truly. And my poor child, Maya was young at the time and I would, she would run or jump off of something and say, honey, your peroni is long as it's shut down. I mean, it Mom. was just, yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, so let's see, I, as I was training people, I was starting to really notice uh, movement uh, discrepancies. Um, mm. In the Czech program, I really learned about movement patterns and how things work together. Mm -hmm. um, that is a piece that I definitely didn't have previous to the Czech program. Um, what is Porterfield and DeRosa, lower back? Mm -hmm. That book mm. blew my mind with regards to how the lat and the glute work together. And like, I love that. Yeah. Um, and that that book and then the Czech Institute really helped me see that type of stuff in movement. And then when I would watch people do a squat and I could see that certain things, even with cueing, wasn't working. Yeah. I would try to isolate and integrate. And that wasn't quite working the way I wanted to, mm. I could bring in the muscle activation technique and really start learning. If I see this in movement, it could be that these things aren't firing. Right. And started playing with that, um, getting someone on the table, testing, treating, getting them back into movement and watching how things would change for them without cueing mm. was, it's been a incredible learning experience for me.
because mm. it's not always it's not always just that the transverse abdominis isn't firing yeah you know it's it, it it is a piece but then you know integrating all these other pieces helped not only like me learn how different people are but how similar people are but it also really reinforced all the stuff that i had learned previously in the courses in a way that was mm. um pretty powerful mm. um yeah, did muscle act I still do muscle activation technique. Muscle activation technique is generally how I start working with people. It's an incredible tool and I absolutely love it. I'm so grateful for it. Um, and now I'm integrating the Eldoa mm -hmm. and Soma training, which has been also very incredible. I I noticed I got to a point with my work. And with my, my daughter, Maya, she was getting to an age where I might be able to start doing some more uh, training, get back into some of the training, mm -hmm. education courses. And I got on the Czech Institute website and started like kind of looking at what people were doing and noticed there was a handful of people doing the Aldoa work mm -hmm. from that sort of group of people. Yep. And D. Tidwell was one of them. And so uh, he's who I was working with. Early, yeah, early fitness systems. Yeah. yeah. And connected with him, and because we have such a similar background, you know, hearing him talk about it, I was sold pretty yeah. quick. You, yeah, yeah, you knew it was the next. And then I jumped into my first class was Eldoa one with uh, T.J. Pierce. Do you know him? No. Um, he's in Denver, and okay, muscle activation check. Okay. And the Eldoa stuff. Um, okay. He's now teaching some of the Eldoa. Oh. So I Scott Herrera from Dallas. Uh huh. Came and taught there, and uh, it was just another one of those experiences. Like, uh, the more you learn, the yeah. more you realize you don't know. Oh man! Over and over, over and, and over. over. It's like a it's like an endless spiral of Dunning Kruger curve, right? It's the best. I yeah. love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it, though. I like. There's nothing about that that uh, turns me off. Mm. Like everything about that, especially yeah. with the human body. Yeah. Like it is what feeds me. It's what inspires mm. me. Like that was my first. Uh, introduction into the world of fascia, yep. which yep. I am just absolutely excited about. Yeah. I just can't even get enough of learning about that. It was a little earlier. I think it was Sue Hitzman is her name. I think she did the melt method. Okay. And I was just listening to either. It was either an interview or a podcast. And um, she was talking about uh, working with a really, I don't know, high level cadaver guy that she respected very much so. Mm -hmm. um, and she said she noticed these rivers of fascia in the hamstring. And she said at that moment, she realized, wait a second, are the muscles tight or is the fascia bound down mm -hmm. on the muscle creating the tightness? Mm -hmm. And it was like my muscle world just went upside down. And I was like, yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was it was very intriguing to me. And I, it's just such an open, I don't know, it's such an open thing right now. Like there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. I know very little and just starting to learn about it, but I am so excited about it. Mm. And that's where, like, that's where Scott Herrera came in and uh, did the level one with TJ. Then I'll do a level one committed to the Scott Herrera teaching. Like I, he is my teacher for the Eldoa stuff. I love it. I mean, okay. I can't wait to learn from Guy Boyer and I know the other guys are great, but yeah, I really love the way Scott teaches. He's, um, it's like a love-hate relationship. <laughs> um, like I can, I can hide out in teaching and learning, uh -huh. 
and you know take really great notes and then go out and hide out again and learn uh-huh but he he doesn't want you to do that it's it's learned by doing yeah it's you know here's here's the rules yeah now show me yeah and you know you get on the floor and you work with someone and then you mm-hmm. explain what your thought process is so that when you get back to your office and you have somebody who doesn't fit any of the things that you learned in the book which is every f- client totally much, right totally <laughs> yeah. yeah oh this client can't get his arm overhead now what do i do right yeah right that you can think about it mm-hmm. and Mm. Again, as much as that's like, that really challenges me, I am so grateful for that teaching. Mm. And it's so anatomy focused. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember, so I did one and two down in Dallas. Um, I repeated one and then did two in Dallas. And I don't know, it was kind of cool. This happens often with these courses for me anyway. Within like 10 to 30 minutes of them teaching, I'm like, Oh my God, they just answered all of my questions. Mm-hmm. I had like previously to that uh, course in Dallas, Eldoa one and two, I had had a pectineus injury uh, from climbing, from climbing off wits where you have to like put your whole hip in and you're basically using just that muscle to hold you in. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it had been strained and it had been strained for a while, but it was getting better and I hadn't thought much about it. Um, I noticed about two weeks previous to that course, I had this like tiny little throb that I had never felt before. It's like a blessing and a curse that we're so connected to our bodies. Right, right. right. Yeah. And it was in my like reproductive area on the right side. Uh-huh. And I just, I noticed, I paid attention as Scott says, I put it in my pocket uh-huh. yep. for later because yep. I don't, yeah. Yep. And then I noticed it again, didn't think much about it. Mm. Um, you know, a couple of times went away. It, that was the last time I thought about it until I got to the course mm-hmm. within 30 minutes of the course, he's, you know, we basically look at anatomy pictures and he looks at us and he says, what do you see? Right. And we have to tell him what we see. And, uh, it was just you know, mm. how the fascia goes from the adductors up through the sacrum area. Mm-hmm. And all of that fascia is, supporting and holding your reproductive organs and mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully <laughs> but if you have an injury in your pectineus right when you start having adhesions right. and the fascia gets dehydrated and starts binding down you're closing mm-hmm. the door yep, yep. to yep. blood flow to all of that information that we need to heal and the tissue starts to calcify and it's starting to tug on the fascia that's going up on the reproductive organs and yeah. it just got me so excited yeah about the power of just that <laughs> The mechanics of how the fascia and where it connects to and how the fascia is a hy- this beautiful hydraulic system that you need so much water for. Mm-hmm. But if it's healthy and if it slides, then, oh, my gosh, everything what, works. What can heal? Like the capabilities right. of healing are just incredible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that mm. that happens all the time. I mean, just I feel like, yeah. Mm. So I leave those courses and then I try to integrate that into my work. As you know, it mm-hmm. comes in pieces. It doesn't just, Yeah. there's no switch yeah. where you just are using all of it. No. But yeah, I am very grateful for that. Um, and then I just did the uh, myofascial stretching course yeah. with Scott recently. And that cool. was just as amazing. I'm, and again, within like 30 minutes of the course, I, again, was just blown away at all of the tools that we can have if we really understand anatomy 
and the biomechanics of the human body. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. what was your cool. question? <laughs> um, all that, but you you brought up several things I wanted to touch on. Um, one is, like you said, you you observe the client. So Steve, when I was training with Steve Hogg, yeah. bike fitter, yeah, he, one of the first things he told me, and one of the rules he bashed in my head repeatedly, um, with good reason, was simply that there are no rules in bike fitting because just as you said, you know, you learn something in class by the textbook and then you go and see your next client. And of course, all that is out the window, which means the principle you ruled, you learned still apply, Yeah. but you have to find out how they apply to that individual. That's right. Yeah. And so his rule was the only rule in bike fitting is there are no rules in bike fitting because the second you start correlating some aspect of fit, you know, cleat position or saddle height or handlebar height with you know, fixing or curing or improving an athlete's posture or function yeah. or breathing on a bike. The second you start to go, oh, I've seen this four athletes in a row. Therefore, I've got an if-then equation. The next four clients that walk through that's your right. door will reverse that. That's right. It's, <laughs> right? it's a beautiful thing, though. Like, that, yeah. is, that is one thing I feel um, like I, would, I wouldn't ever say that I'm good at what I do. <laughs> like, it's just like there's so much to learn and there's so much to know that that like... Mm. I don't, I don't even think that way, but I will say mm. that like, uh, I feel like I do a pretty good job of connecting with who walks in through my door mm-hmm. and letting go of any assumptions. And, and I try to create this environment where there's a give and take because it is dynamic. That's the other piece of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Like you just try to apply these rules to somebody who's not going to do anything at home there's a whole nother variable there. Or they're going to try and do them at home and do them wrong. Totally. Or yep. not so wrong. Many, so many things. Not optimally. They're totally <laughs> dehydrated. Yeah. I mean, there's so yeah, many yeah, yeah, variables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, I, in not assuming, mm. then you get to open this connection to, and the, and if, if someone's on the table and says something to me like, oh, my leg, I'll say something like, oh, the leg length's slightly off. Mm. I'm just gathering information. I'm always gathering information. Like that's yeah. everything I touch, everything I hear, everything I see. I'm always gathering information. Mm-hmm. And if they say to me, oh, it's always been that way. I'll look at them and I'll say, don't limit me as a therapist. <laughs> I'm like, you got to let it go because right. I've seen the switch just like this. Right. And but that's also information. Yeah. To- because totally. if they're holding on Absolutely. to that belief, totally. 19 years ago, All someone told them your pelvis is torsion, yep. you know, and they yeah. didn't say at this moment, or you are currently presenting with a pelvic torsion. Let's see what we can do about it. Or, you know, right now they don't, it's so, we have to be so careful with our language. Right. And I literally tell my clients this, I'm being careful with my language. Here's why. If I tell you you have weak abs for the next 10 years, you're going to walk around going, my abs are weak. It's like, that's not constructive. Yeah. And and it's also, everything is relative. Like it's quite possible and even likely that your abs are perfectly strong for lifting groceries out of your trunk Absolutely, or putting yeah. on your socks yep. or picking up your cat or your small yep. dog. But the problem is when you climb for six hours a week or ride your bike for 20 hours a week, the relationship of durability and strength between your prime movers yep. in the lower limb and your abs become, there's a delta between those. Yep. So now we've got conditioned muscles yep. in one part and um, grocery lifting muscles in the other part. Totally. So it's not that your abs are weak. They're just not as strong as the other muscles you've been training. So we have to train the system, right? And they're like, oh. Yeah. Or, and then, mm-hmm. and also, it's and like, also. Yeah, yeah, there was a guy in particular that I was working on and to, you know, 
on the table, of course, is a totally different environment than in the world. So yes. I try to get people up and down as much as I can because that is not a real environment. Right. But there was a guy in particular who had a, previously had back surgery, was still dealing with back discomfort, got into a place where he felt really good off the table and that mm -hmm. would hold for a bit, but it wouldn't hold over time. Mm -hmm. And I said, we can do this forever or we can look at some other pieces. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I had him do was the food journal that Paul recommends. Just write down what you eat. If you're eating casserole every day or every meal, we might need to figure out how to simplify a little bit. But mm. just write down what you eat. And within an hour, write down how you feel. It could be angry. It could be yep. happy. It bloated. could be bloated. It could be pain. It could be anything. amazing. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Anything. Right. Um, hysterical. Yeah. Right. Like right. Anything. Yeah. yeah. And for him, he came back and he was kind of surprised that that anything actually showed up, which mm -hmm. most people are. Mm -hmm. um, it was ice cream and bread. It's like, like if I ate ice cream or bread, those two, it ended up being these two muscles that kept shutting down and yep. yeah, yeah, he had a choice. Yeah. I didn't tell him to not eat it. Mm -hmm. That was his learning experience. Yeah. And I, here's your tools. If you want to eat that, you can mess around with these isometrics afterwards and see if you can like get the things get to things activate. Turn on again. Yeah. But it is his choice. And yeah, that was a, that was yeah. a really neat experience. Will you just, um, unpack that a little bit for the listeners so they understand like what is the mechanism why would bread and ice cream impact muscles of the abdomen or so i'm, I'm definitely not an expert on this stuff um however the, my understanding is that you know there's so many variables with regards to the to the uh, digestive system of course mm. um you know i learned most of this through the czech institute but if we're eating things that we are intolerant to and that create inflammation in our gut it can affect surrounding areas, mm -hmm. but it can also affect certain levels of the spine. And uh, that can be different for a lot of us. But uh, yeah, so he must have had an intolerance to the gluten and the dairy mm -hmm. and had enough inflammation in his gut that he wasn't able to process it. Mm -hmm. um, that can be coming from so many, as you know, so many different things. Um, I know Paul suggests the rotation diet with the idea that you know, if we are eating the same thing every day, we cannot process, we don't have enough time. Mm. Our body doesn't have enough time to process those foods. Mm. So we start building up an intolerance, creating inflammation in the gut. Um, I also think there's a fatigue to it. Yeah, you know, there's sure. a, there's a fatigue to the nutrients in those foods, the, the physical composition, the fiber and the micronutrients yeah. and the micronutrients, but there's also an energetic fatigue. Like I think it's indicative of a bigger problem from my perspective, because People were so busy in, in this time that people don't want to deal with food. They yeah. see it as an inconvenience. Yeah. And I think that's a violation, I would argue, of a really fundamental natural law, which yeah. is you are what you eat. Yeah. <laughs> so Absolutely. if you're just going to eat the same foods all the time, you're not going to give the body the biodiversity in the diet needed to do all the things that it needs to do, which is countless. I mean, yeah. we're barely on the surface, like we're talking about, like yeah. we... I think both of us will study the human body for the rest of our lives yeah, and on the day of our final breath go, Oh, I learned something, but man, I could have learned so much more. Totally. Right. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Well, so I think there's a, a societally, there's this so much pressure to do all the things, answer all the emails and take the kids to soccer or whatever it is people are doing with their lives yeah. that we have to do, do, do. And then food becomes an inconvenience yeah. uh, or something that we want to solve with a button or a credit card or an instant, you know, a shake yep. or something totally, far, absolutely. far less time consuming yep. and doesn't require all the decisions. But when we make those choices, then we kind of invite those challenges 
my experience. Yeah, and there's so many variables with food. Yeah. So yeah. the other piece that, you know, my understanding of, you know, our our organs hold hands with our muscles. So one of the things I see all the time is that the abdominal wall is shut down. Right. You know, it's it's one of the areas that I don't see yeah. uh, holding. And, yeah. you know, my understanding is that the uh, intestine, small intestine holds hands with the obliques. And the, so it's there's these pieces that, uh, you know, if we do have inflammation in our gut, it is going to express itself through our mm -hmm. muscles. It's going to express our internal health yeah. is expressed on the outside. Right. You know, in, in one way but or another. That's a beautiful statement because in Instagram world, it's like, wow, look at that hot chick or oh like gosh, that dude's yeah. abs. But yeah. when you see what you and I see, yeah, I'm posted in the same category for a moment. It's like, oh, ow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like yeah. you're real pretty, but I can see lots of things going on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't yet know all the relationships between like the specific levels of the spine and innervations with organs. Um, but that's a whole nother But that's level. what we're talking about yeah, is totally. the co-innervations of organs yes. and muscles. So if yep. one's shut off, the other is shut off. That's yep. that's really what I wanted to highlight for the audience. And it gets me very excited too about mm -hmm. putting all these pieces together, right? Yeah. Um, like the Eldoa is mm -hmm. a perfect example. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't say that doing an L5S1 or an L4, L5 Eldoa is going to help a girl with her menstrual cramps. Right. But they have seen that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so if we create health at a certain level of the spine, right. and we open, as Scott Herrera said at this last myofascial stretching class, he said it so beautifully. But if we open the gates to blood flow and to healing, then mm -hmm. and not turn them off like with ice or mm -hmm. you know, not vasoconstrict, but actually open the gates to what we need to open it to, then what happens to those organs? Mm -hmm that are innervated from that level right, or right. involved fascially through that level. Like there's, it gets me really excited about what we can do. What we can do. Yeah. 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 As, the, as human yeah. beings, not even as a practitioner, but as human beings. Right. Yeah. So this makes me think of a comment that Paul made on a, one of his more recent podcasts. I can't remember if it was with, he did a podcast with an astrologer or may have been a more recent one, but they were talking about the concept of chaos and, um, this reminds me, uh, unbelievably enough, of the movie Jurassic Park, the original Jurassic Park movie. Did you see this movie? I'm sure. Yeah, I did. Yeah, everyone's probably seen it. So um, uh, Jeff Goldblum's in it, yeah. right? And he plays this. He plays a chaos mathematician, like a theorist. Yeah. And he's there as a consult to when they go to the park and they're looking at the dinosaurs and they're learning how they're made and everything. And and his perspective in that movie is beautiful because he's basically like. You're all idiots. You can't do this. You know, you took something that was whatever, however many millions of years old, and now you're bringing it to the modern environment. There's no way to predict how that's going to happen. It's right. too much chaos. Right. He talks about the concept of chaos. And and in that instance, um, he uses uh, Laura Dern's hand as an example. If you remember this scene, they're sitting in a car and this always impacted me. This is the way, just the way my weird brain works. I get so, this for movies too. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. So he takes uh, some water from his water bottle and he puts it on his fingers and then he has her hand there and Sam Neill is his, is Laura Dern's husband in this movie. He's kind of watching with this sort of funny look in his eye like, what are you doing with my wife right now? Because he's sort of, it's sort of this flirtatious moment. But he takes the water from his fingers and he drops it on top of the backside of Laura Dern's hand, like right on her, on the back of her hand. And then he watches the water kind of trickle down her wrist and her hand and stuff. And he illustrates, he uses this model to illustrate the concept of chaos. He's like, 
We don't know where the water's going to go, right? But really he was misspeaking in that moment because we could know where the water's going to go if we understand basic physics of the surface tension of the water. We make a precise model of the shape of her skin, sure. the temperature of her skin, humidity of the environment, the number of hairs and the thickness of hair she has on the top of her hand because she's a mammal, blah, blah, blah. The vibrations um, around. The vibrations of the earth totally. and the air currents and the total dissolved solids of the water. So the point is, we could actually model that very precisely. Yeah. The point is that the what we do is when we don't have that level of understanding or discernment, mm -hmm. we go, oh, that's chaotic. It's, yeah. it, it's chaotic. It's it's a chaos system. We don't. It's too much for me to impulse. Sorry, let me try and rephrase that sentence. It's too much for us to understand or conceptualize, and so we we just put it in a different category, a different zip code, and we call it chaos. Yeah. But the reality is most of what we see as chaos is actually quite understandable. We're just not there yet. Yeah. It's on the event horizon of our understanding. Sure. It's the other side of the Dunning-Kruger curve. And so what we, what you're doing is starting to discern deeper and deeper levels of the human body and the organ muscle innervation relationship is just one yeah. of those examples, really right? Learning how, but yeah. we're always seeing clients and we're, for me anyway, what I'm doing is I, I look at the client and I'm just constantly trying to distill and mm -hmm. reduce what is the rate limiting factor? Mm -hmm. What is the rate limiting factor to their ability to do a deep squat, to their ability to ride faster on the bike, to their ability to do whatever it is they want to accomplish, mm -hmm. whatever their dream goal or objective is. Mm -hmm. And often that rate limiting factor isn't, even though I'm a cycling coach, it's not the intervals they're doing on the bike. It has nothing to do with that's that actually. Sure. Yeah, it's, that's right. you know, there are 15 things that are above that, that are higher priorities. Right. Let's start with the fact that they're only eating Taco Bell and casserole right. and they're super dehydrated. It's just easy examples. Totally. Right? Well, and that like, that kind of brings me back to the food question. Yeah. So when it comes to the food, there's so many pieces for me, which is why I would never say I'm an expert on food. So when I think about mm -hmm. for myself, how do I approach food? I can go down a rabbit hole. Big time. Yeah. So I try not to because I also don't want to chalk it up to chaos and just take what's in the fridge. Right. Like. Right. So I, you know, the way I think about it and the way I try to integrate it into my work when someone's really ready to do that or uh, open um, is we are our best doctor. We are 100 yes. percent responsible for where we are and what we do and how we feel in the world. I, I, that is like, I believe that mm. to the nth degree. And when I am working with someone, my goal is to support them or guide them in learning how to come into their body, connect with their body, which for some people, that's enough to walk out the door. Mm -hmm. But I can, you know, I've learned how to connect with people and understand their time frames and listen to what they're saying to know if I'm moving too fast. But uh, if mm. I can get someone to connect with their body and look at what they're eating mm -hmm. and simplify what they're eating to get to a place where their vessel or their body is giving them the information that they need, it's right there for all of us. It is our birthright. And mm. If we, if we don't experience that, if we just want to chalk it up because, no, that doesn't happen, it's because we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons why we might not be there, right? Like, it could be that we're, I mean, I'm 100% of belief of organic food. You know, right. if we can maintain those certifications, like, mm -hmm. I'm there. 
And I, that changed my body. Like mm. I saw a dramatic change when I started eating organic food. And that was when I started getting involved with the Czech Institute. Mm -hmm. Like there was this layer of inf inflammation that just went away. Mm. And I'm super sensitive to those types of things. And then I learned that if I shop at Whole Foods or Vitamin Cottage or Sprouts, that they have a list that they guarantee is not in their ingredients in the foods. That made me more comfortable about shopping in these places and spending the money. And uh -huh. so you know, clearing our bodies out, learning to listen, because there is not one diet that's good for me. Right. That is going to evolve with the seasons. That's going to evolve with the stress levels. That's going to. So it's so loaded. And you're less stress, right? Yeah. You're total because the body's absolutely. always adapting to all stress summates, as Paul says, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So your body's always adapting to all those loads. Um, so if I can teach yeah. someone how to connect and get <clears throat> into their body, mm -hmm. what are your red flags? What is that red flag related to? What shuts down after that red flag? What's your toolbox? Mm -hmm. Are you hydrated? Did you sleep enough last night? Mm -hmm. Are you moving well? How's your relationships? What's your stress levels? What's your digestive health? Like, mm -hmm. you know, the the six principles of health. Six foundational principles. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This brings me back to the first part of our conversation for me, which you already brought up a really important point. You're reinforcing it now. You said that part of... <laughs> We have a squirrel visitor. Our squirrel's part of our podcast. He's outside the window. And the spider. <laughs> and the spider. Okay. <laughs> we had two animal visits. Let's see what else shows up. Here, mountain lion. Here, kitty, kitty. Um, so this brings me back to a really important concept you highlighted earlier that I want to, to circle upon. And that is, I think in particular right now in this um, time in our, in our lives, meaning uh, as a society, people tend to externalize their power so much. They, they feel, I'll say, I'll speak for other people for a moment, which I, I, don't, I do cautiously. Uh, I think a lot of people feel really powerless and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. They sure. feel like they're missing a sense of agency. Yeah. And one of the most important parts of my teaching, and it sounds like your teaching as well, is to remind people that they are the experts on their own bodies. Yes. You are an expert on your own body. Like no much, no one, is no one else can tell you more yeah. about what you're feeling right. than you. Yep. And so what we're doing really is teaching people, just as you said, to listen to their bodies and to eat, to do the simplest practice in the world is yeah. to eat some food. And then an hour later, write down what happened Check in. Yeah. and listen. It's powerful. Like within, there's so much information. There's there. so much information. And it happens yeah. really quick when people do it. When you're open really to it. Really quick. When yeah. You're open to it. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And and we can do that all the time. And Paul talks about, he, he describes it as listening to your soul. And he has this funny, you know, easy thing. He's like, look, you have to practice listening to what your soul wants. Yeah. Does your soul want to you to eat chicken today or yeah. eggs or a salad or Not whatever? Not quite there yet, but I, I believe it's there. Yeah. So his advice is to do practice on things that don't matter where the ego is not involved. Yeah. So you say, what color socks am I going to wear today? And you listen to your soul because it doesn't, what color underwear am I wearing? No one's going to see that yeah. unless you run down the block without your clothes on, but no one's going to see that. So you can ask your soul, like what color which socks am I going to wear? He probably does. He absolutely does. <laughs> yeah. He absolutely yeah. does. And he walks into his kitchen and Penny will be making eggs. I've heard him tell the story and I've heard other people tell the story and he'll check in for a second and listen and go, my soul, my soul says no eggs today. I'm just going to have fish and rice yeah. for breakfast or yeah. whatever Paul eats for breakfast. I don't, I don't know all the details, but, yeah. but, and I've begun to implement this own practice in my own lifestyle as well and it can be quite potent 
and their ideas, their moments where the ego mind or the the brain has these ideas, like I should go ride my bike four hours today. Totally. Either it's a, it's a should, which is the key word there. Yep. Who's telling you you should do that? Yeah. Is it society? Is it your ghosts of Christmas past? Is it your dad? Is it all your racing buddies? Or the other one is I want to go ride my bike for four hours today because that'll be fun. But if my body is smashed and my mind needs rest, riding my bike for four yeah, hours totally. up in the mountains is not what I need. Which which is so loaded in itself, right? For sure. Because this is one of the pieces. There's two things that what you said sort of like bring me back to. One is, um, you know, you asked me who I am in the beginning or to introduce myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I think is really important as a parent of a daughter, um, Maya, you know, I when I started learning the Czech stuff, I was like, oh, this is what I need for me. Mm-hmm so that I can share it with my family yep. and beyond. And I remember, and it brought me back to this paper that I think I wrote in like sixth grade. Mm. It was like, we have to start with ourselves first. Wow. I know. It's wow. Cool. I wish I still had it. Like That's I, cool. I, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Then, then and only then can we affect our relationships and then the world, right? Like this mm-hmm. is, this is a simple, this it's a simple concept, but it comes back to, if I can teach people to be responsible for their health or just give them some sort of direction there yeah, and they apply that to themselves and then their family, mm-hmm. especially their children, mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. just that, how that would change the world this is, so dramatically in such an incredible way. This is the I, we all model. It is. Yeah. It totally is. That's so cool that you intuited that at. In sixth grade. Isn't that fun? I, I mean, I, I wish I had that paper. That, yeah, that was, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's super so cool. I, yeah. So there's that piece. And then the piece that you were saying about, you know, going and training that mm. four-hour ride really hard. And who's t- what, is, what part of me is speaking mm. and saying I should go do that. And when I was creating, doing the assessments, program design, and trying to implement these programs. Mm-hmm. It kind of brought me to this place where I would over-program. I think that's a pretty like normal first thing as you're learning. Right, right. <laughs> Here's your program. Here's your you know, hour and 45 like, minutes. Oh of... my God. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think every programmer goes through that. Yeah. From what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's normal. And then like. Look at all the stuff I'm going to give this person. Fix them all in one shot. Absolutely. <laughs> and then, you know, I now say if I do an assessment like with Steve. Yeah. Uh, Steve's happy that we use his name, by the way. Yeah. Um, if I assess. Uh, well, okay. Let's click. So Steve is a client that we both work with. Yes. And he's, you've had great success with him. He came to me for some fitting and then went to you. Yeah. It was you really great, yeah. And, just wanted to paint he, that context. And he's, he's actually a great example of this because mm-hmm. so assess, create a program. Yep. And that is just such the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Because then the idea is I'm going to, share this with another human being Mm -hmm. and ask them to implement it for what they asked for for me. Mm -hmm. But there's so many pieces there. So, you know, one of the things I've learned to say over the time, over the time of doing this is, look, this is what I've laid out for you. But as you start doing it, I need to know what you are experiencing. Mm -hmm. I need to know what you feel, how, like, I need feedback. Right. I need you to connect with what I've asked you to do. Right. 
And then and only then will I know if this program is going to benefit you. Mm. Like, this is not something mm. that's just for me. This is a dynamic relationship. And mm. he is such a good example because he did exactly that. And then some, because he came, you know, you did this incredible bike fitting for him. And he's like, well, my sit bones aren't where they need to be. I know my bike set up right now. Mm. So now my body's like my sit bones are off. Mm-hmm. But he could tell me exactly what that meant for him. He's very, in his he's very body. touch. Yeah. yeah. So it meant that this hamstring felt like this for him and this hamstring felt like this for him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he looked at, again, all the variables that you set up for him. And so then I did an assessment on him and gave him the exercises and taught him the exercises over time. And I like to take as much time as that person is willing to take mm-hmm. to teach them those things. Muscle activation technique, Eldoa. Um, so you give him a mixed program with mixed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then, uh, and you give him some core work also, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So the program was myofascial stretches, uh, core work, very similar to the Czech core work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some very like isometrics. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he, uh, came back to me and, you know, there, he told me what he couldn't, couldn't do. He's like with my training schedule. Yeah. There's no way I can do these pieces. Can we prioritize? Well, that's my job, like, right. is to assess and prioritize what is going to make the biggest difference. What's going to move the needle. Yep. yep. And so, and so I did that, gave it back to him, taught him it. And, mm-hmm. you know, he would integrate that. And then he would come back and he'd say, yeah, I can't, this one isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. So we would modify it. We'd come up with it. And mm-hmm. um, then we reassessed. And I don't remember exactly what the date was or how much time was in between that first and second assessment. But, um, it was, it was a significant improvement. And I, I have to say, for as many years as I've been doing this, it was pretty cool to see those changes with someone who was integrating it in a way that I felt like I knew mm-hmm. because he shared it with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he knows, because this would be the goal, right? I notice, here's my red flag. My right hamstring's trying to, starting to talk to me a little bit. Yep. Often that triggers this in his body and, but he knows if he does this, this, and this, that he can keep that from happening. Yep. And he's maintaining this. You know, his sit bones are pretty balanced on the seat now. Mm-hmm. Um, he can feel if they shift, but he knows exactly what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. Like he can do his own thing now. Mm-hmm. He's learned he's responsible now for what mm-hmm. he needs to do in order to stay balanced on his You bike taught seat. him how to fish. So it's so it was so it's that great really cool. and now yeah. I, I see him here and there for maintenance because he works so hard on his bike but yeah i yeah. i really appreciate like the structure you created and then his mind of like okay i mm. really want this to work the way it's supposed to yeah his follow-through yeah and then the results like it's it's really exciting so it's great how the pieces fell into place there because this is a perfect example of how i need a a network of practitioners like yourself to help me put all the pieces together because I, there's only one me and I can't do what you do. I'm not trained in muscle activation therapy. I'm not trained in Eldo either. I've done it and I've taken some classes, but I'm not trained. So point being is I could come up with a program that might do some of what was accomplished, but I don't always have time to do that because I'm yeah. busy being oh a coach God, and a fitter yeah. and right. stuff. So, but when we speak the same language, that's, yeah, that's then funny. I can send someone to someone like you and they, we can get all these great results. So it was very, um, it was beautiful how all those pieces fell in because he came to me yeah. and, and there's also, uh, a requisite order of operations that has to happen. 
if someone goes to see you and you do an assessment on the table and you're like, okay, I can see that this hamstring isn't firing or, or whatever, all the things you found in Seaboard, and you help reduce his pelvic obliquity or, or get his, his pelvic torsion a little more in line or, or however the outcome is, if his bike fit is disastrously off, it won't really matter because the bike in some ways is so unyielding. So if his saddle is 20 or 30 mils too high, the obliquity is just going to come back the next ride because That's he's going to cool. be reaching cool. on one yeah. side. So, but on the other hand, um, when he sees me for a fit, I do my best to dial things in based on what I see in his function and the, the movement screen that I'm doing. But then there was this point we were running into this roadblock and that's how I found you mm. because I, he kept coming back to me and going, I feel crooked on the bike. I feel crooked on the bike. And I'm looking at him going, well, I can see that your core control is not amazing and we need some, some inner unit yeah. activation. And there are definitely some muscle length tension relationships that are off. Yeah. We've got to work on this. Um, but at that point, this was two and a half years ago. Has it been that long? That's probably, probably two, probably right. two, yeah. two and a half. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, on a steep incline as far as my, I'm drinking from the fire hose and Paul's program. Yeah. I think I was, I'm at between two and three at that point. I'm not saying I know everything now at all, as we talked right. about, right? Yeah. I see the horizon of what I don't know, yeah. but I know a lot more now than I did then. Uh, and so I'm growing and learning and adapting and trying to apply to clients. And just as you said, also, you come back from class and it's not like you suddenly right. can apply everything instantly and perfectly. It takes lots and lots of trial and error. But so the point is like, Steve was coming back to me for a few follow-up appointments and going, ah, and what was happening was he was having this continual discomfort with his ischial tuberosities. And so we were trying different saddles. I think we went through mm. 10 or 11, 12 saddles. Oh, really? Uh, several of them in the studio. Oh, you have all like, the different. Yeah. So I have a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, a I bike every, and I put I the clients on there. I don't know a ton about what you do. Yeah. yeah. And so I just rotate saddles. It's gotcha. like, yeah. and a lot of them we can eliminate immediately. Like, nope, this is terrible. Why? Because of this and this. Okay. Got it. And I make a note. All right. That points us towards this direction. How, what are we changing in the padding, the shape, the curve, the width, all yeah. those things, right? The nose shape, yeah. nose width. And we just go through and try to eliminate and find the best possible choice. And even when we did that with Steve, what happened was, if I remember correctly, I'd have to look at my notes, but I think we end up with a dynamic for him, which is a particular SMP model for him to take home after the first fit. And he thought that was the best choice. Then he came back and we went round robin and a whole bunch of tryovers, do-overs. Mm. And he took some home and he was mm. trying them and I was mailing him saddles. Yeah, that's so cool. He's that, that experience is so cool. I mean... And it's something bike fitters have to dial in because there's no matter how there's all this technology you can do with pressure mapping with saddles, which mm -hmm. I'm just saying it straight up. I think that's a bunch of crap to be honest, because ultimately the answer is always the same. Go sit on it, go ride on it for three hours. Tell right. me what happens. Yeah. The pressure mapping doesn't help any, from my experience, it, it's not going to help you get to that point any faster. But sure. anyway, uh, a lot of fitters use it and that's their method. However you help the client is sure. great. I'm not here to tell you not to use it. So we went through this process, but we were hitting this ceiling because until Steve had those muscle length tension relationships improved and until his core started function started to improve, yeah. he was going to continually have problems with those yeah. one ischial tuberosity making more contact with cell than the other. And it was, we were kind of like hitting the ceiling that we couldn't grow through until he came and saw you and you were the, the plug that needed to yeah, come in cool. and, and fill in that gap in the rate limiting factor. And now he's riding his bike. And the irony is we started in the dynamic, went round robin on about a dozen saddles. In the end, really? came back to the dynamic, That's same awesome. saddle. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, for me, 
I'm like perfectly happy to go through that process sure. yeah. because it's yeah. what needed to happen to get him the result. Yeah. So Absolutely. Yeah, that that's was cool. cool. And, you know, Steve is also like, I don't take the same approach with everybody. Steve was a perfect mm -hmm. person to do a full assessment on. Yeah. To get my goniometer out. Yeah. And to measure everything. He likes data. He's that guy. He yeah. wants the, like, he wants the numbers. And he's super sensitive to and, all these. Yep. And yeah. he wants to know, like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, mm -hmm. what are the numbers now? Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Not everybody's yeah. like that. I love gathering those those pieces of information. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that doing the mm -hmm. assessment, then being able to look at that assessment and not let it make no assumptions, right? Right. Then get them on the table, do the muscle activation, correlate those pieces. Right. Then give him this program and then learn how to truly prioritize in a way that, mm. uh, you know, for him, his left hip is not quite as stable as some other areas in his body and it keeps kind of showing up. Mm -hmm. So now being able to integrate the pieces of the myofascial stretching. So like for the psoas, for example, um, and this is one of the reasons I love the muscle activation too, because I can use it as a way to test if something is working. Yeah. So what I would do is he would show up, oh, my left hip this, my left hip that. I would test, I wouldn't treat. I would have him do this so as stretch, get him back on the table and see what's firing. And, test, and it was and it would fire. So the myofascial stretches are some of the first stretches that I've hmm. done that with that they actually are stronger afterwards. And why do you think that is? Well, I've thought about it a lot. <laughs> so um, you know, the understanding that the static stretches can truly shut us down. Uh -huh. Brain recruits in patterns and files. Mm -hmm. So when we stretch the hamstring statically, it can take the hamstring out of the squat pattern or out of the lunge pattern. So right. it makes it weaker. Right. Um, the PNF stretching I've you know found can be good, but I don't find a lot of change in the length over time. Mm. Um, and that I haven't really tested with the myofascial stretching, but I think the reason why that happens is, and this is something that I kind of gathered at the last myofascial stretching class, because it's a question that I'm always like, I've got, just, I'm always thinking about. So one of the things Scott said at the course was, um, if you just take a joint yeah. and the joint capsule, you have the ligaments, you have the tendons, you have muscle attachments in there. So when we have pain or dysfunction, uh, you know, that there's stuff going on in that joint capsule that isn't ideal. Mm -hmm. And so with the myofascial stretching, the goal is that the fascia slides mm -hmm. and glides. If that happens, then you get, you open the doors to blood flow and healing in that joint, which the ligaments are the communicators for the brain. So then you start connecting the brain to that joint in a better way. So there's all these like pieces mm. that I feel like as the fascia starts sliding through the myofascial stretch, you're getting more information into that joint. And those ligaments are becoming healthier increasing that proprioception mm -hmm. and the brain is able to communicate with that joint better. And now it's firing. And to let, it will let the muscles fire yeah, so, before they were inhibited. And the, this is a piece that I don't, I don't feel like I could talk about intelligently yet. Mm. And it's that um, there's something about fascia that has this intelligence mm -hmm. of communication and proprioceptive input. Yep. And that's the other piece that I think is fascia adhesive becomes adhesed down 
and binds and closes the door to the muscles, the tendons, the joints, um, that communication shuts off. Yeah. And so as that fascia starts waking up and starts becoming hydrated and starts sliding, then the brain is communicating with that area. I know with the aldoas, it's one of the coolest things I think about the aldoas. Well, there's so many pieces, but as, as we age and as we compress our body mm-hmm. and joints get uh, degenerated, mm-hmm. it, let's say in the spine, mm-hmm. we have degeneration at the disc, then it's like we're closing off all of the ways that the brain communicates with that area. Mm-hmm. So we start moving differently. We have these voids in our body. We can't quite connect with it. And there's a reason. Yeah. So with those aldoas, you create this fixed point moving down. You create a point moving up. You increase space at that specific level of the spine. You start getting blood flow in there. Mm-hmm. Information starts getting better. And Hydration. You can, you, yeah. And yeah. you can feel that when yeah. you do those yeah. aldoas. Yeah. You can feel like it's almost like your spine gets younger. Mm. You know, there's this energy in your spine that you can't quite put your finger on, hmm. but you you move in a way that's less effort, more natural and younger. And it's because the brain now is like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. I missed you. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking. You're again. back online. It's um. there's a yogic expression. The, the yogi is as young as the spine is flexible. Totally. Right. 100%. Yeah. Can't move your spine. Oh my gosh. Did you see the video? I think it was in the level one for us at the Czech Institute. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, uh, if the name will come to me, but um, I think I saw you had one of his articles, but uh, a guy who had no arms or legs. Yeah. 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 They yes. put him on his sit bones, yep. marked up his spine so we could see it, mm-hmm. took the video up as if we couldn't see that he didn't mm-hmm. have legs and yeah. just translated across the floor. Yeah. Such a beautiful yep. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Extremities are improvements on the body. Mm-hmm. Like uh, that stuff is cool. That video is also in Matt Walden's uh, check approach to the lower limb course. Yeah. Oh, cool. I can't remember the guy's name at the moment, but yes, I definitely saw Grekovetsky? that. Grekovetsky? Well, Grekovetsky is the guy who wrote the book on the spinal right. engine. Okay. Right. Yep. Yep. So will you, a couple points. One is that you, uh, you and I want to unpack a really important thing. And then I want to ask you about PNF stretching and GPS stretching. And if you would kind of unpack those and define those a little bit for the audience. So we know the differences static just best you can. But before you get there, I want to rewind and ask you about to return to Steve for a moment and the model of what happened fundamentally when he walked through your door. And this is why Steve is, we might say uh, an ideal client for us in a, in a number of ways. Because I think what a lot of clients do when they come to you or me, it's almost like they're going to what they perceive to be the expert and they guru eyes. That's not a word. Deify, um, pedestalize the expert. They put us in the same category as a doctor or a lawyer, perhaps. Hmm. Right. Maybe not. Maybe they would. If you quizzed them about it, they wouldn't say that. But that's kind of what they do on some emotional level. And they surrender their power. They externalize their power. Sure. Well, what does Shara say I should do? Because she knows how to fix me. She's the expert. She studied this for years. Well, that's those are true statements. But as we pointed out, like you're the expert on your own body. And so Steve was great because he gave you so much feedback on what you were doing. And he also yeah. is smart enough to realize emotionally he's not going to give away his power and be like, well, tell me what to do. What yeah. do you see? What do I do? Instead, he gave you more of an, it was a more of an interactive 
um, relationship yes. where he is mature enough to understand that it's a trial and error situation, even for an expert. You can't just go in and wave your wand and push buttons and make people do MAT exercises and Aldoas and yeah. fix everything. You have to ask him for feedback yeah. for him to say, this is working, this is working, this isn't, or this one I can't do, it's too hard, or I just don't feel it, or I don't feel like I'm doing it right. And then you watch him do it again and say, okay, I see what's happening here. We need to change this cueing. Yeah. Or I can see that that exercise is too advanced for you. We need to regress it. Or, oh, that one's too easy for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, you've moved past it already. The reason you can't feel it is because you're, you've got it. Yep. You nailed it. We need to give you something more constructive with your time. The point being is that it's the same relationship in bike fit. People go and they have this perception that a bike fit is the end all. Like there's one perfect fit for them and I can divine everything in one shot sure. and it's a solution. And to be fair, there are a few aspects of bike fitting that are kind of like that. Yeah. But most of it is just the same work you do. It's like, hey man, this is where we're putting your handlebars. I want you to go ride up yeah. to Wrist Canyon and come down. And this is what you're feeling for. I'm coaching them. Like, how does the bike handle? How does it carve yeah. through corners? Or can you not lean on that inside bar hard and really get the bike to respond the way we want it to? That tells us something about the handling and the changes. So we need to go lower bar or higher bar, depending on what you feel, but I need your feedback in the real world. And just as you said, with how the table's not a real environment, yeah. when I fit someone, I put their bike on a trainer, even though I've got a trainer that moves and wobbles and all that stuff, it's still not yeah. riding in the real world. There's no wind, there's no dogs, there's no ice, sand, dirt, totally. gradient, road texture, yep. right? So I just want to comment on that. Like, I think it's really important for people to recognize that while yes, you are an expert in all the things you studied, you're still, your expertise hinges on the ability of the client totally. to reflect internally and, and give you honest feedback on totally. how things are improving. Well, and when you, when you brought up that example before, you know, what, what jumped into my head was that if someone were to come in and say, I went running and I think it's my shoes. I mean, it's another example of kind of the same thing, right? Uh -huh. But it happens all the time with so many different things. Um, I, my back hurts, but I, I drove three hours. Okay your mm -hmm. car. So mm -hmm. it's like, I turn those around. First, I listen. So someone comes in and tells me what's going on and I'll ask questions. Okay. Well, what did you do that day? Did you sleep well the night before? Like whatever it is, mm -hmm. because they, they guide me all the time. Mm -hmm. Like if you truly listen and hear what they are saying, like there, you know, that you're right next, you're, you know, your next question yeah. because it's right there. Yeah. And then we can play with, and I will always like, I don't let them put it on me. I will play with, okay, so when you're running, at, at about what point does that happen? Oh, it's about 16 minutes every single time. Mm. You know, like these pieces that they actually do know, mm -hmm. that they actually are paying attention to. And I'll say, okay, let's play with that threshold. So let's go to 14 minutes, and then why don't you do this at 14 minutes? And let's, you know, or bring your shoes in. We'll test you on the table with your shoes on. Yeah. We'll see what we can find that way. We'll have you run around the gym a few times, yep. Yep. get you back on the table. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Maybe See we what? can get your body to like feel better in these shoes. Or let's look at your feet. Oh God, you need some toe spreaders, you need some <laughs> foot exercises. Like there's so many ways to, yeah. you know, like, do you feel it at night? Like, when do you experience this? Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, well, this, 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 and this. And it's just, you know, it's reinforcing that person on the table or that person who walks into my office is their own best doctor. Mm -hmm. Because I believe that hundred percent. I don't ever take it because I can, I can guide. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I want is to guide somebody, but they are their best doctor. Yeah. And my success with them is them tuning into that. Yes. Yeah. 
And I don't have success without it. Right. Right. You don't, you can't. You can't. Because it's a... It's dynamic. You're just sending information out into the ether and not getting the echo. Yeah. And that is what I feel like is the problem with our health system right there. Mm. You know, we surrender... Yes. Externalize your power to yeah, the people, to the deity right yeah. of the doctor. Give me the pill. Give me the whatever. You he go said the this would help me. Yeah. Well, maybe it is helping. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Of course you do. How many times do you hear people say that? I don't know. Over and over. Actually, you, you do sure know. You yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's listen to the voice. Let's tune in. Yeah. What do you know? You know a lot. You know well, more and, than and, anyone else about your own body and how you're responding. And you brought up something else too about like the opportunity. Like I was so excited when we met. Because mm. not only do I just love connecting with like-minded people, because I don't feel like there's a ton, mm. um, but also, you know, just being able to share Steve and sort of what happened with that. Like it's, mm-hmm. for me, it's the dream. I have always had this dream of having a space that is like an octagon that mm-hmm. has doors at every entrance. Mm-hmm. And those entrances are different practitioners different types of healing therapies and modalities. Mm -hmm. And because all of us are brought into that world for different reasons, but that's not the only reason or the only type of modality we're going to need. Right. So in this, in the center, we have this sort of open space that opens to the sky Mm -hmm. that has plants that has a gathering community area. Mm -hmm. And we have a nights of the round table where we get together as practitioners and doctors. And we talk about the people who come in and truly figure out how to help these people. Yeah. So we can peel the layers yeah. where they can find who they are. They can be their best doctor. And then who knows? Maybe they can teach in that community area. You know, like that's, for me, that's the dream. That sounds super cool. Wouldn't that be yeah. great? Yeah. It'd be yeah. so fun. Like and how great would it be to have that person right there? Right. That practitioner right there. I know who you need to see. Because mm-hmm. I'm not attached to being the person that. That fixes or. Absolutely not. Gets the home run. Absolutely right. not. Right. And I'm very yeah. grateful to have. You know, great practitioners and doctors and therapists in Fort Collins that I can refer mm. to now. But yeah, I'm not at all attached to that. If I feel like I am not the person to help this, mm. I'm happy to refer out. Have you had this experience where you kind of hear a sentence a few times over and over again in a, in a period of a month or a week and you're like, it starts to impact you? Like what? Well, the one I'm thinking of is, um, it's simple, but it's one that's really impacted me. For some reason, when it keeps landing when I hear it. It's that no one ever does anything truly great on their own. Yeah. And that's that exactly the concept you're talking about. Yeah. Like, and it's so ego to be the person who wants to solve all the things and do all the things for people. Be everyone to yeah. every, be everything to everyone. It's my red flag. When I hear yeah. somebody say I can fix something or I can, I yeah, am right. man, Yeah. It's my yeah. red flag. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. Okay, can we rewind a bit yeah. just so the audience knows the difference? I think this is really important because I'm sure you've had this experience. My experience has been, okay, to draw a parallel example for a moment. It's like when people come in, like, oh yeah, I've been doing core. What have you been doing for mm-hmm. core? Tell me. Most of the time, the answer is crunches and planks. Yeah, or something super fancy like kipping pull-ups. Like, who knows? <laughs> right. Like I, the Weird fancy exercises. That they saw on a YouTube video maybe. Yeah, or something. Totally. Like, that looks badass. I'm going to yeah, try and do oh that. Oh my goodness, yeah. I can do that. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, so in a parallel respect, um, likewise, when I ask people what they do for stretching, I think most people equate stretching with a static 30 to 60 second hold. And the first thing most people are going to do is reach for the floor and try to touch their toes. 
and that's what stretching is for them. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's a few other, maybe it's a lunge. Um, maybe it's a figure four. Yeah. Maybe it's, um, pulling their shoulders down and back with the hands clasped behind their lower back. Maybe it's a few neck rolls if you're lucky and that's basically stretching. And then what, 15 years ago, there was an article that went around that said that stretching the hamstrings impairs sprint performance. So everyone latched onto that and they're like, oh, stretching is bad. And this is just typical of the like 90,000 foot view of like everything, right? Like, is it good or bad? Let's Disney-fy it, right? Is it a good character in the Disney film or a bad character in the Disney film? There's only two options, except the goofy character, which sometimes can be good or sometimes can be bad, depending on which one we're watching, but that's it. Everybody is either black or white. And so I would love for you to unpack uh, what's static stretching truly is just briefly, and then contrast that with PNF, and then tell us about GPS or Aldoa. Yeah. And describe those so people have an idea of how, why do these work better? What's the deal? Yeah, well, I definitely wouldn't say I'm an expert on these things. I can speak from what I do know and some of the experiences that I've had with these pieces. So, you know, with regards to stretching, um, and I've seen, and I'm not to like target this one group, but like uh, yoga instructors, for example, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of stretching a lot of stretching in certain positions mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily isolated, long holds, and everybody's body's different. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting, like I would see a lot of back pain and a mm. lot of locked up hands, hamstrings, but these people could take their legs over their head sort of thing. Interesting. Um, and so that, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, well, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. You know, then, you know, integrating the like check assessment where we look at you know, specific joints with short and tight, with long and weak. Yep. Um, and then trying to create balance there and trying to learn based on fiber types, mm-hmm. based on the muscle, based on what this person does, what's the best stretching for them. And, you know, I would also ask the person what they're doing and what feels good and try to get an, an idea of what their perception of their stretching world is. Mm. So the simple basic rules that I give people is that if you are like... Let's just say I start seeing someone there asking me a question about stretching, but I don't have time in that session to create that for them. Mm-hmm. I will give them the general guidelines of if we're going to stretch, stretch before you go to bed. Yep. With what you're doing already, I don't know what it is, but do it before you go to bed because you're in a non-weight bearing environment. You go through physical regeneration, maybe from 10 to 2. Mm-hmm. And so your body can take care of that. And you're not going to open up Pandora's box and hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Do not static, static stretch before an event. Yeah. Um, like, or before exercise. Or before exercise. Yeah. yeah. Unless yeah. you're playing with some tools to shut it down so it doesn't recruit in a pattern. But that gets real specific and, right, right, and right. tricky. Yep. I would never just recommend someone do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, with the PNF stretching, that's what I was using before. Before I really learned about the myofascial stretching, mm-hmm. PNF stretching, contract, relax. I, I, th- I don't know what I, I am not educated in PNF stretching. My understanding is you need to contract for at least six seconds mm-hmm. because it takes that long for the brain to connect. And then you move into the stretch for six seconds. You repeat that three to five times. Mm-hmm. That's a basic you know, understanding of the PNF stretching. Um, but because you're doing it that way, because you take that six seconds, the brain will stay uh, connected to that muscle in activity. So it's somewhat safe to do before exercise. I still don't usually recommend it mm. unless it's a very specific, uh, program that's been created based on their biomechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, with regards to the myofascial stretching and all of these things that we're talking about, 
Like I, I think that I am still learning so much about the stretching piece. And I've said it several times already with the myofascial stretching, you are working for these stretches. You are working for the change in the body like no other stretching I've ever seen. Mm. So with the static stretching, we get lazy. We're talking mm. to someone. Our pelvis has now moved out of position. Right. We're not stretching the muscle that we thought we were stretching. We're stretching the one that's longer over here that doesn't need to be stretched. Right. Right. And we're creating all these imbalances or we're making those long muscles longer. Mm. And those tight muscles are helping us move out of that position because it takes a lot of focus to stretch a short and tight muscle. Yeah. So there's that static stretch in the PNF. There's, you can have a little more control. You're a little more engaged. You're a little more involved. Mm. It still is very isolated. And most people stretch their left hamstring three times and their right hamstring three times. And oftentimes one is much more tight than yeah. the other. Yeah. So there's those pieces too. Yeah. Um, but then with a myofascial stretching, your entire system is involved. It's a 30 second hold and it's three reps usually. Mm -hmm. And you're creating tension from your toes to your fingertips, mm -hmm. to the top of your head, mm -hmm. to the base of the to sacrum. your eyes. Yes, including your eyes. Your sacrum. Yep, yep. You are working the entire time. Mm -hmm. And it is one of those things, like I love working hard. Like I've always loved working hard in workouts. This is on the same level, if not above, working hard, but it's the outcome is so different, mm -hmm. like in a good way. So, mm -hmm. you know, you may, I'll get someone into a hamstring myofascial stretch where they're on the ground. They have to connect with their sit bones mm -hmm. on the ground. That contact needs to be in their brain. Then I'll have them move their left leg and their right leg into the positions they need to be in. Now the spine has priority. So let's find the position of the spine. Can you yeah. maintain that position of the spine? Now slightly rotate. Don't lose your sit bones. Right. Now right. get your arms involved. We're going to take your arms. We're going to extend them. We're going to turn your fingertips down. Your wrists mm -hmm. are going to raise. All those fingers are spread. Now skate. tuck your chin. Now yeah. lift your head towards where are your sit bones? Mm -hmm. Where's your heel? Where are your toes? And then now I want you to move into the position and start where people will just start sweating right there. Yeah. Totally because also sweating. the effort level in these stretches, just so people know, is maximum. You put as long as I you're mean, hydrated. The experience, yeah, right. Yeah. The experience is basically the practitioner will put you into the stretch by giving you a list of yeah. cues just as yeah. you did. Yeah. Right. And then, but there's so many cues that you're kind of recycling. You're kind of going yes. around the merry-go-round yep. the whole time. It's like, don't forget this. Yep. Now come back to this. Now come to that. Now come back to this. Yeah. Which is why it's by far best at least learned in the presence of a practitioner, in my experience, Absol or oh, a teacher. Absolutely. It's really hard to to learn this stuff on your own through a book would be impossible. Well, and I'll even say that I was saying that I was giving myofascial stretches previous to taking this class. Right. And as you then, know, with the education that I have and yeah. the experience with hands-on, I you wasn't learn, doing it right. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah. I wouldn't claim that I thought I was mm -hmm. because I, I, I get that, mm -hmm. but yeah. And even, and I forgot to mention the eyes looking down because yes. that matters too. Because, because the because eyes then, are attached to the fashion system. Right. And if, yeah, everything is. So when, and the other piece of like you were saying, you're get as a practitioner, you're getting those people into those positions, you're cueing them, but it's constant sort of cycling through those cues because awareness is the other piece. Yeah. That sometimes people yeah, can't by, even yeah. find that place because the awareness isn't even there. Mm -hmm. So as they are, as you're cueing them and they are like, what are you talking about? I don't even know where that is on my body. I can't mm -hmm. even feel what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. We help them find that awareness. Yeah. And then they ask me every time, can I do this up against a wall? Mm -hmm. And my response is like, you could, but then you lose all your awareness mm. 
of mm. where you're supposed to be in space. Mm. So because people will default into the wall, of course. Well, they'll, yeah, that's a good comment. You made that one. Um, I use the wall for some of the postures, but the key is you have to be hyper-focused to not lean on the wall. Totally. As soon as you lean on the wall, yeah. then you ruin it. And I'll go there every once in a while. Yeah, you have to yeah. use And I think it can be a good, uh, yeah. for me, when I first started learning a lot, even basic Eldoas, it was like, oh, if I use the wall, I can see where I need to be. Yeah. That's a big help. Yeah. And there, are, there will be times I yeah. go there. Yeah. And it will be with a person who I'm pretty sure is not going to lazy into the wall. Yeah. You know, you got to be yeah. pretty clear on that line. And then I'll move them away yeah. a little bit. So now, yeah. like, did you gather that awareness? Now you're losing this piece. And yep. that awareness piece is really like, um, it's not as necessarily new for me, but it's new in this way that, you know, if I remember. So Scott always has a dummy up front where he's doing an Eldoa class. So I was the dummy up front mm -hmm. demonstrating. Yep. And um, I remember him saying, Shara obviously doesn't have awareness mm -hmm. of her like forward bend in her body. And I didn't. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, whoop, 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 you know, readjusting. Mm -hmm. But that's a part of the process. It's yeah. like it's a part of the process of that change and working for it. You can't just not be aware. Mm. And when you bring those that attention to those areas of your body, things just they start changing. They start waking up, and you have to work for it. Yes, you have to work for it. Yeah, going to these stretch labs where someone stretches you out, yeah. it's not. I'm sure it feels good. Externalizing power, handing and off she responsibility. She might be really cute. Like, right, there might right, be other yeah. reasons going on here. Totally. But <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, yeah. You so, are still going to be tight unless you work for it. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think GPS and Eldoa, myofascial stretching, put all those in the same category for the moment. These stretches for me have had a profound impact on my own postural awareness, totally. body awareness in ways. And just as you mentioned, you feel things open in a way that nothing else can do. Yeah. And I've been a mobile guy my whole life, like a very flexible person, although a weirdly flexible person in different ways. Um, if I do the Biton nine point test, I score like a two. I don't, oh, okay. So the Biton test yeah, is the, you do nine nine points. Test? Yeah, it's yeah. basically a hypermobility yeah. test, and you look at nine different ligamentous um, ranges of motion. Mm -hmm. And if, if you're positive, you get a point. So a nine on the Biton would be someone who's like a Cirque du Soleil kind of, yeah. or put themselves in a box kind of person. Strengthened in a shortened range of motion person. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I, but I'm only a two on the Biton, which is weird, but I'm known in the cycling world to be everyone bitches about being on my wheel because I kind of like fold myself in half and ride in this ridiculously arrow position. That's basically right. how I made my, my living as a pro was being arrow. It wasn't because I have a huge engine. I've got a very average engine for an elite athlete, That's cool. Yeah. but I'm like more arrow than other people. And then I got the chest brain going. So there were times where I was able to figure stuff out, but, yeah, that's cool. um, so but I wanted to rewind real quick. One really important point that we didn't get to. When you're doing an Eldoa, which is normally a 60 second hold yeah. or a GPS, which is normally a three by 30, the intensity is maximum. You do everything. You follow all the cues. You, when you're reaching your arm to the sky in a particular stretch, you're reaching it as hard as you can. So from that perspective, it's almost, it feels like an isometric, even yeah. though really technically it's not an isometric because yeah. you're, you're under movement, you are moving. Yeah. And so you follow all those cues and you do them all at once and you feel things lengthening and growing, but yeah. you're pushing, 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 pushing. So you're finished with each, like you said, within five seconds, people are sweating. Yeah. It's hard work. It is. Well, it's hard and, that, work. and that's, that's a great example of like how these different sort of therapies that I use kind of come together. Mm -hmm. So I remember hearing from Paul 
that we want an instantaneous axis of rotation around a joint. Yes. And I was like, that makes sense. Yep. And then with that sort of carried over into the muscle activation technique world, well, if these muscles aren't firing, that's going to create an imbalance in the joint mm -hmm. and compensation, wear and tear, yep. aging over time. Yep. And then at that point, I'm working with people on the table. I'm assessing things. I'm doing the muscle activation technique, trying to create this instantaneous axis of rotation all the time. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm teaching the stretches, like the check stretch stretches, I'll say, you know, we need to create space, like reach away, but mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't change your biomechanics, but reach away, mm -hmm. create space in that joint when you're stretching. But I never felt like I was creating space until, and then the Aldoa stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like it's when I do those, I feel the space being created. Mm. Yeah. And when I test people, those muscles are firing mm. and I'm like, it's this working. is what creates space. Yeah. This is what we can use to fight gravity mm. over time mm. and create youth and longevity in the body mm -hmm. and be a badass 100 year old. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I mean, the, all those pieces together, it's, yeah, it's really cool. Hospital avoidance program. That's my gig. What's that? It's the plan where I made a conscious goal to avoid yes. in hospitals at Absolutely. all costs. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like people talk about, oh, I don't want to spend money on organic food. I'm like, well, you're going to spend the money one way or another. For sure. You can you can eat shit food for sure for years on end, and then you're going to end up going to a doctor and being pumped full of prescription drugs. Totally. And you're spending money on the doctor and the drugs. Yep. Botox. Or you can just, whatever. Yeah. Like, whatever. All those yeah. Look good. Yeah. yeah. All those Surgery things. when your joints are yeah. destroyed from all that inflammation. Oh gosh, and yeah. So I mean, there that was a super judgy couple sentences there, but that's how I feel about it. Like yeah. you're going to spend the money one way or another. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I will say like, as I age and I'm getting into that, you know, time period in my life where like, I have a very childlike, I am a very childlike person. So that keeps me young. Absolutely. I'm getting into this place in my life where I'm like, oh, I'm definitely aging. Mm. My brain always goes to what can I do on the inside? Mm -hmm. What can I do on the inside? Because it always shows up on the outside. Mm -hmm. Am I hydrated? Did I sleep enough? What mm. am I eating? Like, mm. you know, those days where you wake up and I can look at myself. And it's because I ate this yesterday. Yeah. That didn't benefit me. Yeah. And it's showing up right it. now. Yeah. <laughs> totally. You can see it. Puffiness yeah. in the eyes totally. or it. a little bit of That's distension it. in the abdomen. Yep. Right. Yeah. Or that whatever for me, um, my one of my college roommates is a good friend of mine. She used to kind of like bark at me when we were living together because I would wake up and my joints would crack, my feet would crack in the morning. And it was at the time we didn't know anything about anything then. Um, not that I know anything about anything now, because what the hell do I know? Right. Um, but she'd be like, oh, my God, you're waking me up with your cracking joints, your feet. And it was because my first ray on my right foot has always been a bit hallux rigidus, which Mine is the, too on my right, yeah. the term for basically stiff, big toe joint. Right. Yeah. Which, in fact, impacts your ability to walk and run, especially with bare feet. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you wear hokas because you're just strapping pillows onto your feet. But yeah. anyway, so. I would wake her up with this and I didn't know at the time, but now you go through the check system, you learn like, oh yeah, when your joints crank regularly, that is not a sign of a healthy joint. Right. A healthy joint doesn't crack and pop. It doesn't need to be popped all the time. It doesn't need to be opened. It's a joint that, because just as you were saying, when the muscles around the joint glide smoothly through the mm -hmm. fascial sheaths mm -hmm. and everything's loose and hydrated and moving, not excessively loose, yep. but loose enough to do the function you want, also stable. Yep. Then everything works and there's no popping, there's no cracking, there's no... Yeah. And I call it information. You right, know? It's right. It's like if you're popping and cracking in a certain area, 
What is your body telling you? It's information. Yeah. yeah. And you should pay attention because it yeah. will catch up eventually. Pain is our indicator that something is wrong in our body. Yes. And we have to pay attention. Yes. And if we do, we get paid back yeah. tenfold. Yeah. The pain teacher. Pain teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes down to, again, externalizing power yeah. and perceiving pain as bad. Yeah. Which I think is maybe a bit of an obtuse concept. But I mean, as athletes, endurance athletes, cyclists, you see pain as a bad thing, but it's also a good thing in a weird way because you know you're making your body stronger. Yeah. Right? You're putting your you're doing intervals, you're going for the bike ride, or as if someone who wants to be a better climber, like you come back from a hard day of climbing and all the muscles are tired, right? Shoulders are throttled, mm -hmm. biceps are throttled, fingers hurt, probably mm -hmm. wrists, right? Lats brain brain from solving the problems <laughs> totally right so but we know okay if we give our bodies time to rest yeah. then they get stronger yeah. that's how we respond and then we're a better climber or a better cyclist or totally. whatever but that pain is a signal the body's communicating to us to let us know that it is time for rest now rest and recover but if you don't listen to it or if you have a very specific pain yeah it isn't a general fatigue from the work you did it's not a muscle soreness it's a tendon or a joint is really sore and it's repeatedly sore yes. that's the body telling you wake up yep. you got to pay attention and figure this out yeah, discern and, it, and it, you know depending on the situation if that regular pain that's been showing up is starting to get a little better it's likely just going under yeah. compensation's kicking in kicking yeah. in and it will show up whether it's down the chain or up the chain or yeah. wherever it is yeah, yeah. And, it, and that's a tough that is a tough thing to do like when we talked about creating programs for people that we expect them to implement in their life mm -hmm. it's you know when people ask me what i do for my exercise program mm -hmm. it's hard for me to answer that because it is based on how i feel mm. what my energy levels are yeah you know what is like did we do three days of hard climbing right and like i don't have something that's laid out that i have to follow because if i i find for myself if i do that then I'm neglecting that checking in. Yeah. I'm fortunate enough to have the tools so I know what to pull from. Mm. But that's part of, as a practitioner, that's what I want to teach people. Like, yes, you have this outline and yes, you have these performance goals and those things matter and you have to have a path to get there for sure. Yep. But that path sometimes needs to... It needs to be a little fluid, be, right? Yeah, a little water-like because yep. you, if you're too rigid, this is, this is the tension in elite sport all the time, especially when you have a race you're training for in August or whatever. Yeah. It's like, well, I've got to make progress towards my goal. So I outlined this plan with my coach yep. and we're going from A to B and we're doing all the intervals and all the efforts. And on this Sunday, yep. I've got my hundred mile ride um, and I've got to do it because I've only got, you know, eight Sundays between here and August where I'm going to do these rides. Right. So it's only eight 100 mile rides and this race is a hundred miles. So I've got to get all of them in. But you wake up Sunday morning and you're swaddled. Then how do we pivot? How do we come fluid? It's not like most people can do a hundred mile ride on a Wednesday. Most people have jobs. Yeah. So the Sunday's it, you know, and the Saturday we had family obligations or whatever. Yeah. So then that there, there becomes this this conflict of interest where on the one hand, you're sort of justifying riding anyway, even though you're smashed. Yeah. And you're saying things like, well, I'll just harden the F up and deal with it. Mm -hmm. Or I can, you know, I'll be tougher than everyone else because I'm so driven for my sport. Or um, it won't matter. I'll just eat more on the bike. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. And, we I, go and, through. I, and I don't think there's an answer. A specific answer it's a very nuanced equation it is because yeah. you know like yeah. i think there is a time in our life where we have those specific goals and we might be able to beat ourselves into those places yeah but we pay a price we pay, right? a, price. We pay a price we pay a price and maybe we go into it knowing that 
But that next phase is going to be a little different. If we're lucky mm -hmm. enough, and this is my new life motto, we got to get through this phase with the least amount of damage. That's a great <laughs> you know, it's motto. Like, yeah, truly. Like I think yeah. about it with my daughter, I think about yep. it with my clients, like no irreparable damage, please. <laughs> I love it. Because the body can heal, the body can evolve, like there's all, but we have to pay attention. And I do wonder in those scenarios of, you know, being an athlete that has these deadlines and these performances, I never, I never was an athlete in that way other than soccer games. There was a point where I thought I wanted to do um, mo uh, snowboarding, board across. Uh -huh. And I started reading about the girls that were up at the top and their histories and their injuries. Mm. And I was like, I That's have no desire. That's a really long injury list. I have no <laughs> desire to go through that yeah. because I love snowboarding fast. I don't right. need to do the competition. So uh -huh. that part wasn't in me, but yeah. That's a that is a tough one for people who really want to compete. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that is a, that's a hard part of the equation to solve is that all those negotiations you add real life on top of it in their limits. Totally. So totally. yeah, yeah. But it it also that's a really interesting comment you just made about the the idea that you thought about competing in snowboarding and then you looked at the injury list and elected not to. And um, I just recorded a podcast with Mike Salemi. If you know him oh, yeah. um, last week, that'll be released soon. I'm pretty excited about that. It was a great conversation. And we were and talking about- He seems really awesome. He's really dialed in. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, hope to get to to interact with him more in the future. He's doing a men's group in October in California. Oh, oh, Might, be fun. Maybe I can make it up for that. But we were talking about the motivation for people to compete and how there's a drive. This is a lesson that I learned recently and I'll just repeat on this podcast. I think it's worth considering um, a teacher brought this to me and I, it really impacted me. And it was the concept that whenever anyone achieves something at a really, really high level, like, you know, they own a multi-million dollar business that they built from the ground up, or they bought, you know, $30 million worth of property, or they win an Olympic gold medal, or they compete at the world level for many years. Uh, I had been aware of the connection between that type of elite level performance and Frequently people, in my mind, frequently people had trauma in their lives they were processing to sure. get to that point. The lesson that was brought to me by this teacher was, no, no, it's almost always a result of trauma yeah. that gets you to that level sure. because how else do you explain that amount of drive? I don't know. Yeah. People don't, when people are JRA just cruising along, like, or JRA is just riding along, it's a cycling term. Okay. <laughs> um, like, sorry, I'm, I'm aware that you may not know all our goofy little lexicon moments, but so when people are just cruising along in life and things are relatively yeah. equalized, you don't just suddenly decide to throttle the living shit out of yourself for 10 to years yeah. to go all in on a sport. You got something to prove. Yeah. It makes sense. What are you proving? Yeah. Are you proving there's something else going on there? Yeah. To your dad that you're lovable totally. or tough enough or to your mom that you deserve to be yeah. loved or that your brother, that you're not the little brother anymore or your, I don't know, whatever, you know, Yeah. we know the traumas that happen. Right. So, what are we proving to the world? Are you yeah. proving to yourself or are you proving to someone else? The ghosts, Christmas past, as yeah. I like to say. Anyway. And I often say I'm a great loser, but the truth, <laughs> but the truth is that I love playing. Mm -hmm. So that's my thing. Like, yep. I absolutely love playing. And I, mm. I like, I express myself in the world through movement. Yeah. Like I snowboard because I love going fast. I climb because I love moving in that way and get intimate with nature in that way. Yeah. Like the, so I don't, I don't need to win. 
Yeah. And it right. does, and it really does keep me like in a place of not. I mean, I have thought about this often. Like, I may not succeed to the level that I possibly could, and I mm. believe that like a hundred percent. But when I go out there, I have so much fun. Yeah. And I get these lessons like when we climb at Vitavu, you have to leave your ego at the gate because if you don't, it shuts you down. Mm. It's such weird hard climbing, mm. and it's hollowed me out in ways that I couldn't be more grateful. Mm. If I was attached to what if it was a 510 off with climb or yeah. if I used a size four cam, like if I was attached to those pieces that people like to talk about, mm -hmm. like I wouldn't be hollowed out in the way that like, that's my gift from climbing is being hollowed out and learning mm -hmm. and carrying that over into the rest of my life. Like mm -hmm. that stuff is what I love, mm -hmm. but I haven't gotten any gold medals. <laughs> but it sounds like that, experience of being hollowed out as you put it as your own metal in your own way because that's what's valuable to you absolutely yeah 100%. and yeah. when we have children like mm. you do um we can see that stuff really being carried on also yes you know those times where my daughter maya who's incredible and she is very driven there have been times where i'm like where is this drive coming from right 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 and right. like yeah. let's let's slow down and really find mm what makes you happy mm -hmm. and what brings joy into your life. Mm. And when you find a little joy, pay attention and do more of that. Please yeah, do yeah, more of that. Yeah. If you're doing this because it creates joy for you, great. Yep. But we got to get clear about like what fills what, you. What's the origin of the joy? Is it is it a should? Right. Are you doing it because yeah. you have a belief that that's what you should do? Yep. Mom told you you should do this. Grandma told you you should do it. Yep. Instagram told you you should do it. Totally. And fortunately and unfortunately mm. for my daughter, it manifests in her physical body pretty quick. Yeah. So she has these very loud reminders yeah. of if she's doing it for the right reasons. So right. it will benefit her yeah. at some point here in the future. I believe that because she's an incredibly powerful human being. Mm. Um, but her physical body is like, nope. 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 Not working. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's a hard place to live in, but it's also beautiful. It is. Because she gets immediate feedback. Yep. And it means she's in, she's listening. Yep. I mean, probably just about everyone has that same feedback. It's just yep. most people, many people I'll say have turned it off. Yeah. Or or don't listen or don't trust it. Yep. They don't trust the intuition of their own body. Yeah. And I think yeah. for some people it is more loud. For sure. Yeah. And But probably, I mean, yeah, I would guess that. Some people just intuitively or maybe natively have that speaker, that volume's yeah. turned up. Yeah. But I think we can all turn up the volume on our own totally. communication pathways yep. in that sense. Absolutely. And to add to that piece, there's a really fundamental concept that I keep hammering my clients with because some of them just don't believe me. But the body, like what is it that animates us? We have life force. What does life do? Life creates and sustains, it endures. So the more we listen to our own bodies, turn internally, um, tune into our own internal speakers about pain or, or just as you said, when something gives you joy, listen to it, foster that joy, whether it's drawing or singing or writing yeah. or, you know, whatever doesn't, I'm just listening creative things that come totally. to mind, but it can be snowboarding or, sure. or planting or flowers, planting it flowers. Anything. It can yeah. be helping another person or totally. just sitting in intent conversation with a friend, yep. like lots of ways to find joy in your life. Right. But when we do this, there's a relationship that we cultivate with our own body, which is a weird thing to say because we're still treating it as a separate entity, even though there is no separation, but a central concept that I think a lot of my athletes miss that I keep hammering in them into them. I try to is 
your body wants to be healthy. Mm -hmm. It is trying to achieve equilibrium and equilibrium for an an organism is balance and health. But so many athletes, when they get injured, it's like, oh man, this is it. I don't know if it's ever coming back. I don't know. As soon as you say that, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Listen to your words. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, or like, oh, this tears my heart out or, you know, totally whatever the language we use, but the, just the lack of faith in that the body has, what you're doing is getting out of the way. And on the one hand, you have to give it to the materials to heal, Mm -hmm. you know, eating shit food, not breathing properly. Totally. Your body's going to have a harder time healing, but it's trying, man. It is trying all the time to bring you back to health. So you go out and do all the things you do the stretching and you do the eldos and you do the weightlifting and you do the running and the cycling and the swimming and the snowboarding and the climbing and it's tired, it'll come back to health every time. The more tools you give it and the more space you give it, the better off that outcome is. That's how we achieve more more sleep, the more quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I had a pretty uh, profound, to say the least, experience uh, about a year ago, March. And I had had a really, like some, someone had given me a pretty hardcore massage, which my body doesn't often respond well to, or Mm. I need to recover from that. Yep. Um, And then we climbed pretty hard that next day. And I knew when I was climbing that I was tired, tired Mm. in a way that like lactic acid to go to the next move sort of thing, like really beyond. And I can, you know, there's a lot of variables that lead up to that. And then the next day I took, in the morning, took a really hot bath. I sneezed and I totally blew out my SI joint. Uh, Pretty humbling for someone who hasn't had a lot of injuries and who does this for their work. Uh Uh-huh. And I was laid out. Yeah. I had six firefighters in my room. They had to give me fentanyl to put a split board underneath me. Oh boy. And take me to the hospital. Yeah. I was so fortunate and grateful very quickly Mm. that my spine was very healthy. Mm -hmm. And it was that I blew out my, I didn't blow out my SI joint, but I definitely had an SI joint injury. Yeah. And the pain was beyond something that I could have ever imagined. And pretty quickly started healing and just, you know, like what's, what is my message? What am I missing? And it was so clear. It's so much going on in my life that I wasn't mm-hmm. paying attention to that threw all of my six foundational principles off. Mm-hmm. And it was enough. It was off enough. Mm-hmm. Blood sugar, sleep, stress from, you know, my daughter was graduating from high school. Like there's all these, all these pieces that were happening. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. There was my pain teacher mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and quickly reminded and got me very refocused and again, very grateful for the message mm. without the damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was a it was a powerful thing. And if I didn't pay attention, it would happen again and it would happen worse because that's how it works. If yeah. we don't get the message, it will show it up. It comes again. back. It comes and it will back. come back louder and louder until yep. we pay attention. Until we pay attention. Yep. Yeah. And this is um this is something, you know, for people who are in about our age category, one thing I've run into with a few clients is shingles. Oh shingles is an interesting one yeah that's a global meltdown of the nervous system to yeah. not be able to handle viral load is how yeah. i interpret that's that's how i would describe yeah, it i would say right? so I, I like that yeah i'm not an expert in that field sure. at all but i know that shingles is it's it's like a systemic yeah. challenge yeah so that's indicative of the same perhaps yes, it is yeah right lack of priorities yep. it's like we're missing we're missing i would say optimal uh arrangement or optimal 
caretaking of several boxes in your yes, life absolutely. when it comes globally like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just feel like we're seeing so much of that kind of stuff. Like, mm. it's just heartbreaking to me that stories I hear, what's, some of the stuff that's going on with my daughter, like, yeah. and it just always, always, always takes me back to the same thing every time. Mm. You got to start with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are you following these six principles? Yep. Are you like, it's an easy checklist. And if yeah. you do it, yeah, then I can help my daughter. Yeah. Then I can help my people. Right. But not until then. You can't be the best mother you can be oh, unless no. you have your own shit in gear. Yep. Unless your own doorstep is swept. Yep. Because you're going to come to the plate. This is one of Paul's most fundamental teachings. You can only bring to the table what you mastered. Yep. Totally. So, it's one of the but best lines. as a parent, like you have the ultimate responsibility to raise yeah. a child to the best of your abilities. Yep. And I, and I've always said this about raising Maya and, mm. you know, the honesty of like the mirror, mm-hmm. like in those moments that you're challenged as a parent, mm-hmm. you can choose to look in the mirror and evolve yep. in that moment. And look at that painful indicator of what you're supposed to take care of as a parent, what you need to look inside to change. Yeah. Or you can ignore it right. and move on and let that pattern remain in your child. Yes. And it is a painful yes. and very challenging <clears throat> reminder. And it happens. It has not stopped with me. You know, mm. when I ask Maya to do these specific things for her own health, I say to her, I say, I haven't done these things. Mm. I am asking you to do things that I know will benefit you. Mm-hmm but I haven't succeeded on my own. Mm-hmm. I want you to know this because I, it's honest. That's really cool that you're that authentic and honest with her. She's way too connected and way <laughs> too smart. They all are. Yeah. They all are. They oh, yeah. may not know it consciously. And maybe that's part of it, right? Yeah. Like if we honor that and we're honest with them. I mean, kids, they figure it out when you're like, oh, it'd be yeah. the same thing for me as a coach. Like if I was overweight, but coaching athletes totally. on how to eat better, yeah. this is a, a simple example, but that's the same concept, right? It's yeah. like, how are they going to take you seriously? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I, yeah. I feel like I try to be very real with my people. Like, mm. you know, I don't have these things dialed into perfection. Yeah. As we were talking about before, like that work-life balance is real. Like we all have to do it. Absolutely. <clears throat> we all have to take the time yep. to be quiet. Yep. And, you know, like, oh man, uh, Greg Schmaus, who my daughter Maya is working with, he's incredible. He's Czech trained and mm-hmm. beyond and yeah. beyond. Uh, he's, he's so incredible. But he talks about, and I know Paul talks about this. I haven't done these courses with Paul, but mm. you know, the story gap, like yeah. my, my life goal and purpose is to close that space between who I say I am mm-hmm. and, and who you actually are. are. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, this time with Maya leaving the house and having some space to actually see those things, mm. it's incredibly powerful. And I would want that for her too, mm. but authenticity, it's like, it's part of clearing the vessel so we can be our best doctor and we can be, on yep. our, we can listen to our own feedback so we can be in the world the way we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. The hollow bone. Yeah. Cool. So, okay. I want to ask you a question that's maybe a little bit out of left field, but tell me what you think about this. I think I would say, I would make a statement and maybe I'm totally off base, but for you, especially in sixth grade, as a young woman, a very young woman, a girl, you had this intuition of this um, order of operations. I, we all yeah. take care of the self For first, sure. then the f- close friend, family and friends, then the greater yeah. public at large. And that has to be the order of operations. For you to have that, I would argue as a young woman is far more unusual than it would be for a man. Because I, as soon as you said that, I reflected mm. on my own 
um, perspective on that. And I was like, well, I think I figured that out pretty early, but it wasn't like an intuition that hit me. It was just like, it was almost a priori, but I'm a guy and men don't have the societal expectation to caretake others as much as from a very societal perspective, yeah. women are expected to be caretakers. Yeah. And we hear a lot of conflict um, that comes about in women's lives, especially moms, oh, for sure. because they feel like they don't have time for themselves. Yeah. And they don't, they're, because they're always looking after the kids or other people's kids or their own family members, that extends right into their own parents and their brothers and sisters, perhaps, depending on their situation. My entire practice. Yeah. 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 Your, and your practice yeah. as well, right? So it's like, so I don't know if you have a comment on that cultural conditioning for women to be caretakers um, with the asterisk that I've had conversations with different women in my life. And I try to point out to them that, you know, there's this chicken egg situation. It's like, yeah. well, I feel like I don't have time to take care of myself. Well, yeah. if you do not take time, you will never have time. Like it's about, for me, the I, we all, the entire mountain of that principle is based on one simple thing, non-negotiables. You draw a line around certain things yeah. and you draw them in concentric spheres. So the first sphere is I take care of myself first. Like I will put on my own life vest before helping the small children. I have to drink my own water before I tell someone else to be hydrated. I have to um, make sure that I'm not bonking before I start to cook dinner for my family. Totally. So if I have to eat a few slices of goat cheese and a handful of almonds or whatever does it for you, right? Um, then that's how you're going to, you're going to do, but it's, it comes down to the principle of non-negotiables. Yeah. So it sounds like you intuited that at a very young age. Well, I which, would say, I would say I did intuit it at a young age yeah. for sure. And maybe I did because it is my biggest challenge. Ah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that, but oh. I will say that it is no question that when I think about some of the lows in my life, mm -hmm. I go to, I immediately go to who am I? What do I like? Mm. And I have to rebuild that up. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm always giving and yeah. always caring for. And yeah. and so I am constantly reminded of it, but I believe it as my foundation. Mm. So when I get off kilter or if I do feel like disconnection in my body or I feel a sore throat, anything, mm -hmm. it can manifest as anything. Mm -hmm. My thought patterns are a little off. Like that's where I go to. Mm. I ground myself. I center. Yep. I do what I need to do for me. And I have some tools that I use, you know, um, whether it's a meditation or a movement or mm -hmm. I just check in with these pieces. But I think that's where, I'm, that's where I always go to recenter to that place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I am always giving and I have clear indicators of being depleted. Yeah. But I always go back to, OK, am I yeah. taking care of myself? Because that comes first. Yeah. And I yeah. don't know if that answers that question, but no, that's a, uh, that's a great I, answer. Yeah. I don't, it is something that I have to revisit on a very regular basis. I mean, it's a never ending project, just like cleaning your house. Yeah. There's always dust in the corners that we have to, that's so, how I see it is yeah, we're always totally. cleaning, cleaning the self, grounding the self Absolutely. to be. And when we, when we're, this is perhaps pretty esoteric, but you know, what is, what are you doing when you're really centered with a client, when you really empty yourself yeah. and you look at them and you, you ask without ego, without uh, preconceived notions, without some agenda mm -hmm. to sell them something or, sure. or give them a message or tell them about all the shit, you know, yeah. you put all that out the window goes because you've done your work and you look at them and you just ask, what does this person need yeah. at the most fundamental level? 
right? If the emptier you are, I'll make a, a broad statement. The emptier you are, the less that you're literally channeling from somewhere sure. else, right? For sure. Right? That information just It just comes through in. you. Oh, yeah. But the resistance and the friction comes when you're hanging on to those, <laughs> that 3% of like, where's my contribution? What's my yep. ego? Why am I important? Yes. That's what drains us. Yes, absolutely. Right? So when you're totally empty, you can channel all yep. day long and go home and be like, I feel That's great. Right. And when I think about what I truly want in the world, mm -hmm. to help the person on the table, Mm -hmm. to be a very good parent, yeah. to, to close that story gap for myself so yes. I can be who I'm supposed to be in the world. Yep. When I come, when I think about what my goals and my dreams are in the world, that is what's crucial is clearing out. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think why it takes me back to that place of, okay, what do I need to do to clear out? Where's the junk coming from mm -hmm. and how do I clear it out? Mm -hmm. So I can be that vessel for Maya. She's, yes. She said to me the other day, she said, did you do your mold test yet? Cause I think we have mold in the house Yeah, and it's this year on test. It costs $300. And I said, ah, yeah. it's just, you know, it's expensive. I haven't done it yet. She said to me, she said, you know, mom, if you wouldn't have sent me those last three packages, yeah. you could have done that test for yourself. <laughs> so in other oh, words, man, that it tells perfect. me that I'm teaching her what yes. I need to be teaching her. And she's calling you out and on it. It's coming around full oh, circle. That's amazing. And she's done that throughout her entire that's life. But yeah. yeah, it was pretty, that's beautiful. It was pretty profound. That's beautiful. Yeah. Maya, the grand illusion. So it's M-A-I-A means God's creative light. Ah, but ah okay. Not M, and the not grand illusion is, yes. Okay. Okay. So it's funny because when I saw yeah. Paula today, yeah. at a, uh, after I had Maya, yeah. I said, oh, Paula, I had a child. Yeah. And he's like, oh, what's her name? And I said, Maya. Maya. And he's like, oh, uh -huh. the grand illusion. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> where you're stuck in this place of, yeah, yeah I forget yeah. what Maya is exactly, but. <clears throat> Um, no, it's M-A-I-A -A and it means God's creative light. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And she is. There's no question about it. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. You briefly, one last thing. Are yeah. you, are you good for a few more minutes? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, you mentioned you're clearing out and I think this is like, okay, we've been talking about this, how you clear out, how you sweep your doorstep, how you empty. Um, can we, can we trade places or can we uh take turns and talk about how we what's most valuable for us would you mind sharing some of those practices with the audience because oh, i like think what for my people, tools are for me yeah yeah i think people for need sure. examples for this and they need to maybe hear yeah because if sure. they're starting into that world or maybe they have some but they feel like it doesn't always work yeah for sure okay um like there's there's a handful there's a lot of different uh pieces for me depending on like what it is that is manifesting for mm -hmm. me um you know, if I'm feeling like low in energy, like sad, mm -hmm. then I have, you know, I, I think about what brings me joy. Okay. So there was a time period, for example, like, and it's very basic and it doesn't have to be fancy. I remember laying on the couch and like connecting with, oh my God, I feel very, very sad. And it was after a really hard breakup and mm -hmm. it was a breakup that took a lot of me and, you know, I lost who I was. And I remember thinking what brings me joy? And that's what I did. I planted flowers. I planted flowers on the patio mm -hmm. that I could see outside of the window from the couch. Nice. I got in the dirt. Dirt and nature is crucial for me. Yep. So that's, there's no question that works for me every time, but mm. I planted flowers and that was enough to take me to the next, the next step. So what was the next thing that brought me joy? And it was whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, that's one. 
Cool. Um, if I'm feeling not grounded, so that could show up in like disoriented. I can't decide what's priority. Like I'm all over the place. I'm dropping things like that energy. That's like yep. all of a sudden gravity is really heavy and you drop <laughs> things all the time. Um, that might be something like taking off my shoes, going outside, feeling the ground and doing breathing squats. Uh-huh. I love breathing squats. Yeah. It's one of my favorite tools for connecting with my breath yep. and feeling like, okay, I got some energy cycling now. Yep. And a breathing squat is just grounding your feet, taking a breath in as you come up, mm-hmm. exhaling down, yep. inhaling up, nice and slow. exhaling down yep. at your breath rate. Mouth is closed. And it's powerful. Yes. Really powerful. I do it on long drives and I do it when I feel like I just, yeah. my energy is like stagnant. Yeah. And it really helps me move. I love breathing squats. Yeah. Um, I, and again, all this stuff comes from paying attention mm-hmm. to what works, right? Listening, right? Because we're all, everybody who may be listening to this has their own tools. Mm-hmm. They just haven't paid attention yet. Mm-hmm. Like that is, I believe that. It is our I birthright, agree. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, um, where was I going with that? Your oh, next other so, tools. Yeah. So, like, so before today. Um, you know, when I think about where I have to be kind of heady and I don't want to be scattered because I have a tendency to like talk in these big circles with not, not answering Mm -hmm. questions. So Mm -hmm. trying to get grounded or trying to get clear in my head, um, I kind of default to, uh, who is it? Daniel Amen's awe meditation. I think it's Daniel Amen. And it's just 20 minutes of taking a breath in Mm -hmm. and exhaling awe for as long as you can. Mm -hmm. And, you know. As you're doing, or as I'm doing that, I don't know if it's required in the meditation. No such thing is required, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm imagining energy coming up through my sit bones, mm-hmm. through every point, every chakra point, and out my third eye, mm-hmm. and sort of focusing on what I want to manifest. Mm-hmm. That has been so incredibly powerful for me. Mm-hmm. It's rare that, and I should use it more often, because it's rare that it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. What I am focusing on and wanting to manifest generally shows up pretty quick. Mm. It could be that I'm not trying to manifest $5 million, right? but they're realistic goals and they're really like uh, mm-hmm. applicable to what I want to do in that mm-hmm. soon moment. Um, so that's another one that I use. Mm. Um, breath work, you know, and with that awe meditation, you know, the things that are happening is you are shifting from your sympathetic to your rest and restore your parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. So things are slowing down. You're becoming more connected to your heart versus your brain. Yeah. And so like all the things that are happening make sense for me too. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, movement's a big one for me and movement outside is a big one for me. Like when we get out and climb on the weekends um, and it, it doesn't even have to be climbing. Mm-hmm. It can be taking a walk in nature um, some sort of connection with the outside world is a crucial, crucial piece for me. Mm-hmm. When I really stop with, and I've had this show up with Reiki sessions and different sessions, like the visual that comes to me for basic healing in my body is sitting in the gr- sitting on the ground. Yeah. And being around, yeah. I have no problem connecting with the beauty <clears throat> of a blade of grass. Like mm-hmm. that is very easy for me to do. So that's a really important one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with, I always look at making sure that I'm drinking half of my body weight in ounces of water, like mm-hmm. simple tools that shift things in my body in ways that I can't even put my finger on. Yeah. So making sure I'm hydrated. I always look at what I'm eating. If I'm yeah. eating too much sugar, 
Yeah. Yeah. Like that's my, that is sort of, that's my vice. So yeah, but I just, I look at what I know I do when I am disconnected and when I am scattered mm. because I've paid attention and then I do the things that sort of ground me and it doesn't take long. Mm. You know, when my daughter tells me she thinks she looks fat, I'm like, yeah, I know what that feels like. Mm. Not because I'm fat, but because of where we are in our head. Mm -hmm. And I tell her, I say, well, these are the things I do. I breathe. Mm -hmm. I eat well that day. I go yeah. and exercise. Yeah. And I do. And if I do those things, it, nothing visually has changed, but I see myself totally different yep. because I am doing the things I know that I need to do to be healthy. Mm. And that changes that outward perception a hundred percent for me. Body dysmorphia is a real thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, any other tools? Let's see. I have people that I connect with for body work for sure. Okay. So I have like, um, so you don't always have to do it yeah, all yourself. I do believe we all have tools to take care of those things, mm -hmm. you know, yep. but sometimes we need a little guidance and a yeah. little push. Yeah. And so or the I, energy maybe of another person. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. when I feel stuck mentally, I don't go to talk therapy. Mm -hmm. I usually like if I'm stuck in a situation, I'm like, why am I not moving forward? I can see that I'm not moving forward here. Mm -hmm. I use, I go to this woman, Karina in Fort Collins, who does Reiki and she's incredible. Mm -hmm. And she just clears that out. And I just feel myself shift forward. Mm -hmm. um, when I feel like I need like this internal sort of uh, support, I go see uh, acupuncturists in Fort Collins, Glenn Fertility and Wellness. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and I walk out of there. It's like they just took, all the stressors, all those levels of stressors that pile up, and I have this new clean slate to work with. Mm. So things like that. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm very, I'm very kinesthetic. Like I experience life through my body and through movement. So mm. for me, taking care of those things, like whether it's a practitioner or the things we mentioned, mm -hmm. like that tends to unwind the other stuff for me. Mm. Connecting to my heart. I remember reading Joseph Chilton Pierce and mm. how like as we, you know, when we have a child and yeah. we're breastfeeding, we're holding heart to heart and their your child's heart is regulating off of your own. Yeah. And that part is so important because information is supposed to come from the outside into our heart first before it goes to our brain. Right. The heart and is the antenna. Yeah. And yeah. that is what separates us from animals. Right. If we don't have that. Then we get stuck in our reptilian brain yep. and we move in the world like animals and we you can see that everywhere yeah so reconnecting to the heart piece and just mm. trying to get out of my head mm. and then things just sort of move the way i feel they like flow yeah, the way they should totally, yeah. until yeah. they don't and then i just revisit those <laughs> do it things. again yeah because it life shuts us down it's I mean, very sisyphusian that process right that but, word <laughs> i don't think i know that word should i know uh, that word? the myth of sisyphus is I think it's a Greek myth. Uh, if my daughter were here, she could tell me more about it, I'm sure. But it's basically this myth that this that one of the gods or God or something, I don't know, I'm butchering crap out of this, but the idea is pretty simple. This guy's task was that uh, there was a boulder at the top of the mountain and would roll down to the bottom. And every day he had to push the boulder back up to the top. And then the next day he would wake up to find it had rolled down to the bottom. And his job was to push it back up to the top. So a Sisyphusian task is something that just feels very repetitive and, and yeah. laborious and and challenging yes. and repetitive. So yes, it is that word. And I think I said repetitive twice, which fits. <laughs> it's repetitive. <laughs> but I will say like the idea is that as that story got, gets 
more narrow. Mm. And as I reinforce these things in my life, that I can, that they're more inherent in my day to day. You know, they, I don't have yeah. to work as hard for them. Yeah. That hill gets shorter. Yes. And the rock gets lighter. Yeah. And because of that reinforcement of these tools that, you know, mm. our body wants to be in homeostasis, like you said, because I'm reinforcing those things, like my default, it's like my default is pretty darn happy mm-hmm. and pretty darn good. Darn healthy. And I can yep. do pretty much whatever I want in the yeah. world. Like I can Isn't that go. Beautiful? Yeah. Like. Right. And I think that's yeah. why is because I'm always, those are the things that I go back to. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So as, you know, at my age, I could go out and do a back handspring, you know, like, because yeah. those things are revisited because I don't get stuck in my head of age or, you know, all these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, how many 50 year olds do you know that you could walk up to and say, can you do a somersault and a cartwheel and a handstand totally. right now? Yeah. Most of them, a few oh, of them would try and hurt totally. themselves. A few of them could do it. Most of them would go, I can't even do that. Yeah. Or walk a high line or like yeah, learn, yeah. learn a fun new task. Like it's mm. just, that's what life's about is growing and evolving. And I don't ever want to lose that. And mm. I do attribute it to those pieces, mm-hmm. revisiting those six foundational principles. It's essential. Yeah. It's, it's boring to talk about. You can't sell it. I mean, it's funny. I, <laughs> you're right. It must be, but it, I just don't think it is. I and I get so excited about it. <laughs> and people are like, she's, Dude, what's wrong with you? She's pretty weird. I know. I, yeah. I get the same response sometimes. Yeah. Which comes down to meeting the client where they're at. Right. It's like, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, and that's a beautiful thing too. I love it. Yeah. Like any sort of seeds you can plant are mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Thank you so much for taking yeah, this, time to come chat with me. This was really fun. Did you have anything you wanted to add? I don't know. Tell people where they can find out more about you. Um, yeah. So uh, my website's www.youkinetics.com. It is under, you can access it. It is going to be uh, updated very soon. Youkinetics um, is spelled E-U-K-N. K-I-N. K-I-N. Thank you. E-T-I-C-S. Which, so the E-U means good stress versus distress right so the the idea is to how can we through movement Mm -hmm. add stress to the body that promotes yep progress and Mm -hmm. health Mm -hmm. um yeah Uh, that's probably the best way to reach me or shara at eukinetics.com okay do you have an instagram as well you do right i do uh yeah i mean i'm i'm not huge on on socials on social media yeah but i i I have this intention of being bigger on social media. It's just not my default. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do have a Instagram and I think it's Eukinetics. Okay. Yeah. And cool. Facebook also. Okay. At Shara Simmons or at Eukinetics. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And feel free to reach out with any questions because I love talking about this stuff. All right. Very good. And if you're in Fort Collins, if you need someone who's a yeah. body wizard, yeah. Sure's the person to go see. Well, thank you. Thank you. This was very fun. Good. That was great. Thanks. Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of cycling and alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues other riders, other racers, a lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. 
and that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society. Even if we disagree, we ought to be able to, in most cases, shake hands and walk away. Because after all, this is sport we're talking about. And while sport is training for life, it's nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings. Blessings.